kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Antinating Podcast. Tonight, as is traditional, we will start with the CASA update portion of the show. Um, my name is Jan Johnson, and I am a board member of CASA. With me this evening is Alex Clark, the executive director of CASA. Hi, Alex. How are you this evening? Oh, um, yeah, I should say welcome to the CASA update for the week of 5-12-2017. Whoops, sorry. Hi, Alex. How are you this evening? I'm, I'm actually doing really fantastic. Oh, that's awesome. So what's new and exciting this week, Alex? <laughs> um, well, uh, can, can you still hear me? I can still hear you. You sound great. Okay, okay good. Because um, okay. I am actually coming to you live from the uh, Korean spa in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> awesome <laughs> it's a it's a cheap adventure for us so uh that's awesome yeah. <clears throat> um so yeah uh this has been a pretty crazy week we started <laughs> off in dc on monday for the e-cigarette summit which is the first one in the united states um yeah. and uh that was uh it's a jam-packed day. I, anybody who's been to e-cigarette summit in London, um, I've only been once to London, and it was they they managed to cram like three days worth of content into like you know a ten-hour day. It's, right. it's pretty crazy. Um, but uh, some mixed reviews coming out of summit. Um, you know, and it's something really important to keep in mind is that this was the first one in the United States and the organizers had to do backflips to make sure that people like Matt Myers and mm -hmm. uh, there was a representative from uh, Center for Tobacco Products there, right. uh, you know, and, and some other, you know, health professionals and, and, and scientists, you know, researchers are very um very careful to avoid seminars and conferences that are uh, primarily sponsored by industry. So, um, you know, there was the intent was to have a, a good balance of mm -hmm. attendees that were coming from the vapor industry, from the tobacco industry, and also from, um, you know, the science world. 
uh, and of course, tobacco control. So um, people may have noticed that, you know, CASA didn't actually make it onto the program until um, I guess it was about a week before the event um, right. that, that Brian Carter was listed and Jennifer Burke Coleman were listed as panelists. Mm -hmm. um, so there were some, some, some very mixed feelings about the presentations um, and uh, various um, bits of work that were that were presented. Um, okay. I know that uh, Oliver Kershaw has written his review, mm -hmm. um, which is up on vaping.com. Okay. Um, it's a good it's a good read. It's a fair it's a fair review of the event, and I would encourage people to check that out. Okay. Um, and I'm sure we'll we'll link to that in our notes. Okay. Um, if that's something that you do, um, you're the one that's in charge of that. So oh, um, I can do that. <laughs> awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, all in all, it, it was a good event. You know, it, that we're gonna we're gonna wait until uh, some of the videos are posted, and we can kind of go back and review. Um, you know, because I had we basically had a delegation there. It was okay. uh, myself, myself, Julie Westner, Brian Carter. We brought along uh, Chris Hughes from Pennsylvania, Chase Richardson from Delaware. Um, we also had Jim McDonald and Amelia Howard. Um, and uh, we even got Brian Foydekin under the CASA flag. So, oh, wow. you know, there was there was a, a healthy mix of people wearing CASA pins. And, um, uh, you know, I, I know that uh, Brian Carter introduced himself to Matt Myers at one point and um matt sort of did a little bit of a, a recoil <laughs> once he's once once brian said hi i'm from casa um so uh yeah it was it was good you know we weren't necessarily up there giving presentations but it, there was a noticeable presence um and we we, we also had a, a table display which was pretty much julie westner's um collection from uh, you know, like 2009 and on, she has some, right. uh, you know, museum pieces basically. <laughs> um, and really, I think the star of the show, I can't remember the name of it. Um, it, it, it has a name, but it's an, it's an early, it's a squonk box. Oh, God. It has a handmade atomizer in there. And, you know, this is, it's from 2009. So this, this piece was built in response to FDA directing customs to see shipments and everybody freaked out right. and said, you know, we don't know where we're going to get our atomizers from because nobody here manufactures them. Mm -hmm. So this thing, you know, it's this, it, it's, it's just, it's horrific actually. I mean, well, I, I remember, uh, I remember uh, I, I got uh, a handmade atomizer then. Uh, it was one of the first ones. Mm -hmm. um, and was it, was it made out of copper? Uh, yeah, the man who made it is no longer with us. Okay. So um, it, it's a real collector's piece. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that was sort of the, that was the one that garnered the most interest for people because, you know, it, it's the one that really looked the most handmade right. and uh, because it was. And obviously yeah. there was some, uh, you know, the inherent risks of vaping out of an atomizer made up copper um, yeah 
so uh you know but that that sort of i think you know the purpose of having that there was to drive home the point that you know people do crazy things during prohibition and you know we can't get our hands on legally manufactured products there are levels that people are willing to resort to that, that mm -hmm. can cause greater harm sure. um so um so it was, it was a good little display and um, you know we had we had some people gathered around i don't know if we had the ear of many tobacco control folks but um it was uh it was it was, it was worthwhile and I, I thought it was very worthwhile with that and, and I'm, I'm hoping that they'll be able to bring it back next year and um you know next year you know now that it's sort of established itself as a credible event um mm -hmm. lots of valuable content I, i'm hopeful that you know you'll see a, a better uh, the consumer voice will be more represented and that we will actually um you know have the uh, have the ability to make some sort of presentation yeah. on the stage so yeah um so yeah that was good and of course you know one of the most important things is all the conversations you have during the breaks or after the conference um mm -hmm. so i'm not gonna get into details on that but suffice it to say that uh, you know it, it was a good opportunity to get out there and network with people and, and meet some folks and, yeah uh, and we took full advantage of it that's awesome yeah so that was that was sort of monday through we were we were there monday tuesday and i came home wednesday okay. um and uh i feel like i'm, I'm missing a really <laughs> potentially big story here i mean we've already discussed the the delay um and i, and I do want to clarify something um you know there, there are people out there who are speculating why this delay happened um not to get into any specific you know, stories that people have put out there but um just i, I think it's important to, to say that the administrative delay that we're seeing right now is a result of the um, is it the cigar association of america right. lawsuit mm -hmm. um it, it, it's it's in response to that uh this is yeah it, it, I think it just needs to be stated plainly that the cigar, the cigar lawsuit is responsible for this three-month delay, and okay. um, you know this is giving us an opportunity to push the the, the longer administrative delay. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, I, for anybody who's new listening to our update, you know we have um, an engagement up on our website right now, uh, sending letters to Tom Price. Mm -hmm. um, and these are, you know, handwritten letters with, with personal stories and, uh, and, and uh, encourage your local shops to you know, make that available to customers. And, um, you know, you can even take the law into your own hands and print it out yourself. Um, everything is downloadable and, and pretty easy to set up. So, um, uh, yeah, and I still haven't sent mine in. For, like, <laughs> in for the people in... For the people who encourage everybody, we're the last ones who do this stuff. So we do do it. It just takes us a little while. Yeah, just it takes a little while. We've been pretty busy this week, so um, yeah. Hopefully, I'll take some time this weekend. Um. Then let's see. I guess yesterday, or I think it was. No, it was yesterday. Um, okay. There are couple of bills in the New York state legislature um, 
have uh, a tax bill. I'm sorry, not a tax bill. You have an indoor use ban and uh, raising the age to 21. And uh, there are bills in in the House, I'm sorry, in, in the Assembly and the Senate. And right. um, it's, you know, it's one of those things where you have identical bills racing towards concurrence. If the bills pass each House unamended, then they meet up at the end and there's no need for them to swap chambers. Right. Um, but we have had a bit of a sympathetic year in the Senate. And so we are urging people to contact senators, their state senators, mm -hmm. and uh, ask them to oppose these bills. Um, and, uh, you know, even if, even if they get amended a little bit, it's, it buys us time because mm -hmm. they have to swap chambers. Sure. So, um, and I don't have the bill numbers handy because I'm this all from my phone, but uh, there we do have an alert. So if you live in New York State, check it out. If you have friends that live in New York, um, definitely share it with them. Okay. Um, and then um, I just got this. I was, I was actually walking out the door to come here. Uh, fortunately, this is a place, it, it, despite the fact that this is a spa, there are like laptops here and there's free Wi Fi. So I can actually work <laughs> yeah. in between like sitting in, in sweat lodges and stuff. It's, it's great. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, I'll be getting the rest of the call to action put together, but um, Louisiana is looking at a tax bill. And um, of course they, you know, posted the committee schedule on a Friday. Um, it is going to the House Ways and Means Committee uh, on Monday at 9.30 in the morning. Um, and this bill, it's, it's HB 271 mm -hmm. and it raises the tax for those who don't know, Louisiana has a five cent per milliliter tax on e-liquid, and um, they are proposing to raise that to 13 cents per milliliter. And That's a 150% increase. Yes, it is. And yeah. I did some, some quick math, and that's an extra $3.60 on a 30 milliliter bottle. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, I know that Gregory Conley had posted up something just on Facebook with, uh, you know, the states, um, the state legislature's page for finding your lawmaker, mm -hmm. um, and I guess finding members of the, the, the Ways and Means Committee. There's, there's a lot, like a lot of members in the Ways and Means Committee, and this is something, yeah. this is introduced by a Republican, no less, <laughs> which again is just you know, kind of baffling. But um, so. Uh, yeah, that committee hearing, 9.30 in the morning on Monday, uh, hearing committee room uh, six. And um, if you want to sign up to testify, just make sure you sign a, sign a witness slip before before the hearing. Right. Um, and uh, I, I would actually strongly urge people to keep your comments to, you know, plan for, for two minutes. Right. Um, and your comments are very simple, but, you know, um, as, as a consumer, you know, this affects your access. This could, this could cause people to, um, this could cause shops to go out of business. It, it really could, uh, especially in, in border towns. Um, and, uh, you know, online sales are an issue. Sure. Um, people, people will do what they can to save money, even if it's just, you know, $3 and 60 cents. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, at the end of the day, uh, former smokers shouldn't be punished for making smoke free choices. Uh, right. it's, it's, 
it's absurd, it's predatory that they would want to raise a tax on these products. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, your, your personal story. If you can cram all that into two minutes, that's great. Right. Um, it sounds like there's a... Alex? Alex? We seem to have lost him. Yeah. I don't know if he'll uh, make it back. Um, yeah, I, I think a 150% tax increase is a little um, insane. Myself. Just a bit, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I just sent Alex a message letting him know we lost him. I, it's it's been a, a pretty pretty interesting year with everything that uh, has been going on. That's a polite so, way of putting it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and it's very strange, like Arlington, Texas just passed a smoking ban that precludes vaping indoors. Um, there's, there's a place, I think it's New York, that passed an outdoor smoking ban that precludes vaping as well in all the spaces that uh, smoking is banned, which is pretty much all of the outdoors. And um, just coincidentally, I see... The, uh, the wonderful nannies on your side of the pond are talking about limiting smoking in the home. Uh, yeah, publicly owned homes, mm, basically social well, housing. Yeah. Yes, well, like they've done here. And I think that's a, a slippery slope. Oh, for people I who think... don't know, uh, I'm very boring. I produce <laughs> this radio show um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> for the Cassatt update. Yes. So, yeah, I, I just think that's interesting and, and something people might want to know about. Alex, are you back? He's just dropped out completely. He might okay. be rebooting. Um, yeah. Also, so, next week, uh, TPD comes into full force in the UK. Yeah, I've never understood why they would... Every other tobacco product, they want them to sell more of. And since they consider e-liquid a tobacco product, they actually want smaller sizes sold, which just makes no sense to me. Um, I would hope so, Margo, but he's actually um, on the Discord app. Um, yeah, if he's so, lost phone signal, he's stuffed, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. So... Because he's using public Wi-Fi, which is never a lot reliable. I tend to use 4G on my phone if I'm wanting yeah. to make sure I get a good signal. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a little difficult. Um, it's just been a crazy year, you know. Um, you've got places banning flavors, and now places are banning smoking indoors and outdoors, and I... I if they're conflating vaping with smoking, and a lot of places are pushing to ban it in cars, I, I imagine they'll, you know, just add vaping to those no no vaping with a child in the car thing. I imagine yeah. that'll be coming soon. Coming soon! <laughs> well, we've already got a ban on smoking in cars that contain children, so... Yes. 
it's only just a matter the of the next stage. Also, yes. yeah, public health are having to be more um, careful over here now. Yes. Well, Did you see where there was a guy that got busted? I think it was in London. Car by himself. Yes, I saw that. They, they uh, if it's a company vehicle, they can probably get him. If it's a private vehicle, they'll just get thrown out. Well, it was a private vehicle. Yeah. Ah, but if he's using ah. it for work, it's counted yeah. as a public space. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you've you've got to love you've got to love the bureaucracy. That, that's the way they worded the laws, deliberately. Yes. Yeah. Because when um, Wales were trying to ban indoor vaping, they included people who worked at home. Your home office counted as a workplace, therefore you wouldn't yes. be able to vape or smoke in, yeah. your, oh. in your home. Which, yeah. during um, working hours, that was the interesting bit of the wording. Yes. Uh, Gottlieb got confirmed as yes. the new FDA head, and I, I know people are People are. I've got a that. hope on it. Uh, I, I have wait I, and see because yeah. he's had money from both sides. So mm -hmm. yeah. So you never really know what the government will do. Oh, uh, luckily, I think Alex might be back. Alex, you here? Maybe. Um, luckily, for our sakes, and I mean, I know I mentioned this last week. I don't know if you finished the cassava. No, no, no. We've just been filling dead air. <laughs> you don't want dead air. That's like the worst thing you can have in a podcast. So we were just talking about TPD and stuff that's happened this year. So um, if you want to finish the update, Alex, that'd be great if you can. Or, you know, you can just... I'm sorry. I'm, I'm back. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you perfectly. I don't know where I dropped off. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, it, um, you were talking about where the hearing was on Monday. <laughs> wow. Okay, um, uh, so yeah, well, the, the, the hearing is at 9.30 a.m. on Monday in right. uh, committee room six, yes. uh, and then I went on and on about um, uh, people arguing that we should just give them a small tax and it would legitimize the industry. Uh, well, and, yeah, and people who fought for marijuana like, like legalization thought that would help too, but you see what's happening with them now. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I think we, we may have discussed this at some point, and and I, I don't want to. Um, no, I know. I, I don't want to get long winded here, actually, for risk of, of being dropped again. But um, okay, I, so I I do I, I do want to sort of hammer home the point that, um, you know, we, Kasa and others, had had warned about this. Mm -hmm. And and it was it was very simple. It was, you know, you're going to have these states that are going to pass these five cent per milliliter laws, and you know, 
this is why we oppose any extra taxes on these products. Sure. Because once the tax language is written into the code, sets precedence. It's it's all the more easy for them to come back and raise that tax. They yeah. tried it. They tried it in North Carolina this year, and mm -hmm. then trying it in Louisiana, in any state that has one of these low taxes, they'll try it in the future. So, um, again, I would encourage everyone. You know, when we when we put out that alert, if you think that five cents per milliliter isn't that big of a deal, just keep in mind it very easily goes up to thirteen, twenty, fifty yes. cents per milliliter. Yeah. Um, and and they will try it. So, yes. Um, so, yeah, I will be getting the alert out for Louisiana um, tonight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and yeah. So, um, I think that's that's pretty much what I got. I, I apologize okay. for the the, oh. the call in issues. No. Um, but uh, thank you for the update. I'm yeah. sorry, I, I interrupted your your time away. <laughs> no, I had originally planned to go home and, and do this from my desk, but right. then I realized that I can get away with doing it here and it's you know you don't pay by the hour here. You just you get in and you hang out and you do what you want to do and right. that, this place is open twenty four hours. It's pretty amazing. Um, wow. so uh, so yeah, I can work from a spa, it's great. <laughs> that's awesome yeah that's awesome i don't know many people who can say that so yeah, well you know come to come to king spot in palisades park new jersey they've got laptops and you know they make it easy actually it's pretty cool that's awesome that's yeah. that's a nice that's a that's a nice place to go it's definitely something to keep in mind if i'm ever on the east coast yeah so if that's it for this week, Alex, I will let you get back to your sweat lodges and, and your massages and your relaxation and tell your lovely wife that I hope she and you have a wonderful time. I will. Thank you. Good night. Uh, right. Thank you for joining us, Alex. Have a great night. Um, right. Thank you. You can, you can get CASA updates at kasa.org. You can get Kasa updates at the Kasa SoundCloud page. Uh, you can get Kasa updates by going to the Apple um, podcast store and searching Kasa Media and importing that feed into your local podcast app. And you will always know what Kasa is doing. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. Now we get to the portion of the show where I get schooled. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to the Auntie Nanny portion of the show. With me this evening is none other than Miss Margo. Hi, Margo. How are you this evening? How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm doing okay. Um, her extremely intelligent husband, Steve. Hi, how are you this evening, Steve? Hi, Jan. How are you? I'm really good. And, of course, my rock. One of the smartest people I know and the best producer that money can't buy, which is good because after almost four years, I'm still not paying him. Very. How are you this evening, Very? All right. Uh, lift off and the clock has started. Yes, sir. Reading you loud and clear. <laughs>
I'm, I'm good. That doesn't sound like Barry. No, not so much. That that does uh, that sounded like a Buzz Aldrin. Or that's something. that's Mercury. Yes. Ah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a Houston Cowboy. <laughs> um. So I've always been really interested in the nature of reality, but um, I've been a long time Buddhist. And I've come to things from sort of a different perspective. And until, you know, I don't want to say until really recently, but um, I took the physics in high school that they required you to take, and I really didn't find it very interesting. Um, I, until really recently, when I started um, studying game theory, um, chaos theory, um, that sort of thing. And I noticed that reality didn't quite look the same. Uh, not to the people who were explaining the mathematics behind how these things worked and the randomness. It, it's all just really, really interesting to me. Um, you guys have both, you, Steve, and you, Barry, have both studied physics so you have a clearer grasp on this than I do. Is it more... <laughs> yeah, I know. There's no real grasp on something that's this hard to explain. But um, what do you think the nature of reality is? Well, it's right all it. down to how you see it, basically. Okay. Observation um, gives you your reality. Okay. Fair enough. Steve? <laughs> well, I have to agree with Barry on that. It's a very observational phenomenon. Okay. Uh, I mean, throughout history, it's always been a question central to philosophy. I mean, mm -hmm. even uh, in Western science or philosophy, back to if a tree right. falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? That's all the way back in the early 1700s. Right. by uh, George Berkeley. Okay. Uh, a treatise concerning the principles of human knowledge. So yeah, it's pretty much from the observer's standpoint. Right. Um, I read an article recently, and stick it in with any of the show stuff tonight, but um, the, the article by that physicist who was, the interview with him, where he was saying that, you know, basically we should be thought of as observers of reality, which I thought was a, an interesting perspective, and it's not one that you, you often get. Um, I, I think the nature of reality, I mean, considering wave-particle duality, uh, um, doesn't really fit in with how we perceive things, um, but I do think it's, it's a dual nature. I think that science divorcing itself from the philosophy is not doing itself a lot of favors. I almost think you need both to really understand it. And I think what physics is and what it does is physics is kind of man trying to understand the universe and his place in it without putting himself in it. Does that make sense? But um, when yes. you look at it, from the standpoint of the work I've seen, 
it can't be understood without the observer in it. It, it, it just can't be. It can be, but it can't be. Um, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the philosophy connection is valid, though, because if you go right back, the early, what we'd now consider physicists, like Copernicus, Galileo, Newton, were all really in their own time classified as natural philosophers rather than physicists. Because, yeah. yeah, nobody outside a small group really understood what they were doing. Well, I, I think that still stands today. Nobody outside a small group understands that. I I love it. I think. I think, we need to change the way we see reality. Right. Well, Whatever the we real the real kicker with quantum is. physics is, we are observers of reality. But our observations yes. are creating the reality. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, in a way, and and I was saying, I, I said this last week. What I really like about physics is that it kind of explains, in a way, some things that we think are unexplainable or we think are supernatural phenomenon or weird or strange. It it has a way of explaining it. You know what I mean? And it all kind of makes sense. How you doing there, Margo? This is like so over my pay grade. It's not even <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, I, just for a second to expand on what you were saying. Okay. Uh, connect between the quantum and the macro that we observe. Uh, the 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 quantum universe, which is indeed a universe. I mean, it's got its own fundamentals sets of laws and principles that guide the reactions that they observe is disconnected from that that we live in and inhabit very few instances do they overlap but they do like right. in solid state physics uh nuclear physics uh there are okay. real world macro applications that derive from understanding quantum physics right Here's a good what? one, channel like, because it's philosophical. The yeah. macro micro. Yes. Um, so above, so below. Very old yes. statement from natural sciences. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, yeah, I do like that. Of course, you know, I'm Buddhist, and uh, I do know one of my teachers told me that I didn't know it now but that I would know it later because I've been doing this for a really long time that Buddhism is like a science because it's not like a typical religion that tells you what's right or what's wrong or how to live. It's just sort of you trying to figure out your own place. And he told me that I would grow to love the obscure sciences. And he was absolutely right. And I have noticed that a lot of people who are really interested in quantum mechanics, especially, tend to be Buddhists. Um, I think it's because they understand these same <laughs> things that physics is trying to describe with the science, but in a different way. Um, emptiness, for example. An atom is 99. <laughs> nine 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 like 12 nines after the point nine uh percent emptiness you know we 
try to cultivate emptiness to understand it and to change our own perceptions of reality. So it really is beautiful to us and it speaks to a lot of us in a lot of ways that you wouldn't think. Does anybody want to pick a story? Margo, am I boring enough that you want to pick a story? Let me see. What was the least brain taxing? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, boy. I'm actually... <laughs> Do you know what's really sad? I picked a lot of stuff that was in popular science stuff, just like popular news magazines and stuff, because I didn't want to go into stuff that would make people... You know, going to know Quantum weirdness. Quantum weirdness. All right. That's a good one. The reality of uh, the quantum world and the butterfly effect. Okay. Um, we can do both. Two votes for weirdness. Yeah. Um, okay. So, the reality of quantum weirdness. In Akira Kurosawa's film, Freshman, a samurai has been murdered, but it's not clear why or by whom. Various characters involved tell their version of events, but their accounts contradict one another. You can't help wondering which story is true, but the film also makes you consider a deeper question. Is there a true story, or is our belief a definite, objective, observer-independent reality an illusion? This very question, bought into shopper scientific focus, has long been the subject of debate in quantum physics. Is there a fixed reality apart from our various observations of it, or is it really nothing more than a kaleidoscope of infinite possibilities? This month, a paper published in the online journal Nature Physics presents experimental research that supports the later scenario, that there is a Rashomon effect, not just in our depictions of nature, but in nature itself. Over the past hundred years, numerous experiments on elementary particles have upended the classical paradigm of a causal demisternic universe. Consider, for example, the so-called double slit experiment. We shoot a bunch of elementary particles, say electrons, at a screen that can register their impact. But in front of the screen, we place a partial obstruction, a wall with two thin parallel vertical slits, we look at the resulting pattern of electrons on the screen, what do we see? If the electrons were like little pellets, which is what classical physics would lead us to believe, then each of them would go through one slit or the other, and we would see a pattern of two distinct lumps on the screen, one lump behind each slit. But in fact, we are observing something entirely different, an interference pattern, as if two waves are colliding, creating ripples. Astonishingly, this happens even if we shoot electrons one by one, meaning that each electron somehow acts like a wave, interfering with, it, with itself as it simultaneously is passing through both slits at once. So an electron is a wave, not a particle. Not so fast. For if we place devices at the slits that tag the electrons according to which slit they go through, thus allowing us to know their whereabouts, there is no interference pattern. Instead, we see two lumps on the screen as if the electrons suddenly were being observed decided to act like little pellets. To test their commitment to being particles, we can tag them as they pass through the slits, but then using another device, erase the tags before they hit the screen. If we do that, the electrons go back to their wave-like behavior and the interference pattern miraculously reappears. 
There is no end to the practical jokes we can pull on the poor Electron, but with a wary smile, it always shows that the joke is on us. The Electron appears to be a strange hybrid of wave and a particle that is neither here nor there, nor here or there. Like a well-trained actor, it plays the role it's been called to perform. It's as though it is resolved to prove the famous Bishop Berkeley maxim, to be is to be perceived. Is nature really this weird? Or is this apparent weirdness just a reflection of our imperfect knowledge of nature? The answer depends on how you interpret the equations of quantum mechanics, the mathematical theory that has been developed to describe the interactions of elementary particles. The success of this theory is unparalleled. Its predictions, no matter how spooky, have been observed and verified with stunning precision. It has also been the basis of remarkable technological advances. So it is a powerful tool, but is it also a picture of reality? Here's one of the biggest issues is the interpretation of the so-called wave function, which describes the, native, the state of a quantum system. For an individual particle, like an electron, for example, the wave function provides information about the probabilities that the particle can be observed at a particular location, as well as probabilities of the results of other measurements of the particle you can make, such as measuring its momentum. Does the wave function directly correspond to an objective observer-independent physical reality, or does it simply represent an observer's partial knowledge of it? If the wave function is merely knowledge-based, then you can explain away the odd quantum phenomenon by saying things appear to us this way because our knowledge of the real state of affairs is insufficient. But the new paper in Nature Physics gives strong indications as a result of experiments using beams of specially prepared photons to test certain statistical properties of quantum measurements that this is not the case. If there is an objective reality at all, the paper demonstrates, then the wave function is in fact reality-based. What this research implies is that we are not just hearing different stories about the electron, one of which may be true. Rather, there is one true story, but it has many facets seemingly in contradiction, just like Rashomon. There is no escape from the mysterious, some might say, mystical nature of the quantum world. But what, if anything, does this mean for us in our own lives? We should be careful to recognize that the weirdness of the quantum world does not directly imply the same kind of weirdness in the world of everyday experience. That's because the nebulous quantum essence of individual elementary particles is known to quickly dissipate in large ensembles, ensembles of particles a phenomenon often referred to as decoherence. This is why, in fact, we are able to describe the objects around us in the language of classical physics. Rather, I suggest that we regard the paradoxes of quantum physics as a metaphor for the unknown infinite possibilities of our own existence. This is poignantly and elegantly expressed in the Vedas. As is the atom, so is the universe. As is the microcosm, so is the macrocosm. As is the human body, so is the cosmic body. As is the human mind, so is the cosmic mind. And that was from the New York Times. I really did try to pick stuff that wasn't out of like weird, obscure science journals. So it was easily understood if it was read. More easily understood than stuff we're probably going to talk about. Well, yeah, I mean, the the story brings up the 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 duality of nature basically mm -hmm. and the fact that he, lots of humans don't like the fact that there's more than one truth there's always more than one truth yes. there's there's millions of shades of gray that's mm -hmm. i don't know why i like doing a news infinite show because... possibilities in fact <laughs> when you look yeah. at quantum mathematics 
Yes. Um, well, I can look at quantum mathematics and it just makes my brain go, oh boy, it's like a bowl of oatmeal in here. Um, but I know other people can look at it and they can read a pattern in it and that it's beautiful to them. I'm never going to be that intelligent. But like I said, I kind of understand this stuff in a different way. So I understood what he was talking about. Um, Eastern philosophy, the natural philosophy, like you stated before in, in this country in the early 1700s, talked about a lot of the phenomena that we see now. Um, I find it quite sort of beautiful that everything kind of to me the way i see it exists out of nothingness if an atom for instance is almost all empty space then we're not we perceive ourselves as sitting in our chair sitting in our couch but in the quantum world we're not sitting in our chair sitting on our couch we're kind of hovering above it and it's only the wave action if i understand it correctly that makes this feel solid to us Am I correct in that? Um, sort of, yeah. Sort of. Funnily I enough, told you, my, funnily enough my people wish it was that simple. Um. Well, I know, my understanding <laughs> is different of this. Yeah. You know, I, I love it and I find it amazingly interesting because I can find parallels between it and something I've studied for years. Well, but, God. What you've got here is, is it really people trying to understand elemental elementary energy levels uh like the quantum waveform or as they used to call it the quantum mechanical wave okay and determinism actually happens whenever this waveform collapses into reality at the moment of observation the okay. phenomena they refer to as decoherence i gave margo a small inadequate analogy to it this afternoon okay a shallow cookie pan filled with a skim of talcum powder you put it on your patio on a windy day okay. it's going to disappear rather quickly yeah. where is if you have the exact same material but you have five metric tons of it <laughs> in a giant pile Right. You will notice little effect on a windy day. You're, of course, you'll have clouds of talcum powder everywhere. <laughs> but the basic effect will be that, that this act of disappearance, because it's been decohered because of the sheer mass of the particles that you're talking about. Right. I mean, that, that, that's basically just a great big involved way <laughs> of, of, of trying to explain why what we see at the very small doesn't have observable effects at the very large. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't help that most particles like being in big, massive clumps. <laughs> they love it. Yeah, the, the, most of them seek it. Um, mass has an affinity for mass. Yes. Okay, so I talked about, I kind of got interested in this stuff from 
years ago they used to talk people used to talk about the butterfly effect there was a movie about it it was a horrible movie starring Aston Kutcher that's there's all you there's two need to films know. actually there's a sequel as well oh good lord they made a sequel <laughs> they, they really didn't need to it was a horrible film with Aston Kutcher that's all you need to know um, you don't need to torture yourself with it really trust me um, and it's not that I think the man's a bad actor I just I don't I don't think he's an this, actor <laughs> he, I don't know what he is He's he's Kelso from that '70s show. Okay, is that better? Um, but that's all you really need to know about it. Except, I used to find the idea really fascinating that so much of what happened, whether we observed it or not, could change everyone's perception of reality. Um, and I was going to talk about the Mandela effect. That's kind of sort of kind of got me interested in this but the more i looked at it the more i think it's um almost like a group think delusion you know that's it happens like a mass form of psychosis where i've seen the psychology writings on it that some of the things that we believe to be true passed down to us you know just as anecdotes and observations aren't really what reality shows but um the mandela effect kind of i don't know well i mean if <laughs> if you if you look at the edges of physics and yes. philosophy they overlap they do because you come down to some at the edge of physics and some at the end of philosophy are of the opinion that nothing exists basically there might just be one consciousness that's creating everything. Well, you know, I've actually heard that said that um, life, and I don't know how true this is, is just the universe trying to explain itself to itself. Yeah, and, basically. You know, and then of course you've got, I've seen other theorists talk about that this is a holographic reality, that nothing is really real. I choose not to believe that. I choose oh. to believe that there's uh, some reality. <laughs> Go ahead. A comms razor, uh, if I pronounce the gentleman's name correctly, practically demands that we accept that it is a form of mass delusion, the Mandela effect, rather yes. than the fact that we're quantumly leaping from one universe to another. Yeah, I mean, that would make sliders way too real and you know, sooner or later, we'd, be, we'd all be in talking dog world, and I'm not ready for that. Yeah, I, I prefer to believe. <laughs> I, I prefer to believe that the Berenstain Bears were always spelled with an A instead of an E. Yeah. Well, see, yeah. all of a sudden, I'm I'm now in a universe where it's spelled that way. Yeah. Also, there I, isn't just one theory of how multiverses and jumping between realities works. I think I mentioned to you this off air last week. You There's, did. I mean, some people believe that there are millions of separate multiverses, even, but I, I and there are barriers between them that stop stuff leaping between. You know, I don't. <laughs> That's I don't in know physics too. Yeah. I don't know if I believe that, but yeah. I do know I was 13 years old when I was brushing my hair in a bathroom, and a bunch of girls walked in, and they were older than me, and one of them was having a crisis and everybody was crying and I had been having such a lovely time 
And it just hit me that I did not live in the same world as these people. Um, All you can do is live in your own reality. Exactly. So to me, the idea of the multiverse is just that you inhabit your own little world. Does that make sense? I mean, to me, that's the easiest explanation for it. Yeah, that that has come up in physics as well. Yeah. I think it's easy. Because no two physicists tend to see results even in the same way. If you go to a physics conference, my God, the arguments. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're back to the universe as described by observation and reality. I mean, that's basically where we just wound back up to. Yeah, well, I mean, so an easy example, um, the sky is blue. You, most people know that to be true. Depends but where you are. But no, but I'm saying that's not necessarily. <laughs> and it depends true. on if you're colorblind or not. Exactly. I mean, but it's not just that. That's just how your brain sees it. How your eye, how your brain, takes that pattern that it sees and interprets it in your mind, and you know that that color is blue. Ah, but it's blue. only blue in your mind because you've been exactly. told it's blue. Blue, exactly. It could be green, it could be pink. I mean, you, how would you know? But it's not really blue. That That isn't really real. You know what I mean? To me, that's that's one of the most interesting observations. Well, um, it's supposedly Albert Einstein... Uh, back in his salad days, reportedly asked uh, Nils Bohr, uh, one of the founding fathers of quantum mechanics, whether he realistically believed that the moon does not exist if nobody is looking at it. And supposedly Bohr replied that however hard Einstein may try, he would not be able to prove that it does in fact exist. Observing either it or the effects it has on the tide. You know, it's what's funny to me is looking back at the history of, of quantum physics and stuff, Einstein hated that theory. Right? Absolutely. We all know he despised it. So he and a group of people got together and they said, we're going to just prove this. And he wrote a paper not under his own name and wound up actually proving that the quantum or came closer to proving that the quantum was real. which is kind of amazing. I, I do have some sympathy for Einstein because yeah, a lot of stuff in the early days of quantum mechanics um, basically really destroyed his life's work. So no. you can understand why he was a I bit can. upset. Um, <laughs> I can, but I mean, this, all I can say is we know this to be true. The science is never settled, right? Yeah. I don't care how much a scientist comes along and tells you this is the absolute it. This is the theory of everything. This will explain everything. Life, the universe, and everything is forward to. Yeah. Modern physics things are proposals or theories. Yes. There is no fact. Yeah. Well, there is no fact. And this is just a form of science to try and explain, I guess, us. Yes. I'm interested in the glue. Do you know what I mean? Whatever it is that holds the shape of the universe, this well-defined thing that we live in, 
together out there. Not just the universe, but us, our consciousness. Um, I'm interested in understanding all of that. Um, and I don't think I ever will, but I like where I like where understanding the micro might help us get better at understanding the macro. Does yeah. that make sense? And and when John says she's she's trying to keep it simple, she's right because this this right, could get quantum, really quantum particles. They're not only described with the name. The name's the the easy bit. They have direction, spin, flavor, smell, <laughs> and various other terms to describe how an observer is observing them at the moment they've the observed moment. it. Yeah. And they can't, you know, they can't look at all of them at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it really is. It, it's mind-bending stuff. Yes. It is. I, I don't know. I don't know how the men and women who study this can um, arrive out the other side of their studies sane. Well, I mean, when, see, I'm, when I'm, they start I'm having, back. I get the cookie sheet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, when they have to start using flavors to describe effects that, yeah, there isn't really language to describe what they're doing. So, <laughs> but, the, but we don't understand ourselves or our place in the universe or yeah. any of this. It helps you, Jan, if it helps you. They're actually split among themselves. Uh, yeah. They have one school of thought called substance theory. Okay. That a substance is distinct from its property. And the opposite is called a bundle theory. Okay. That an object is merely the state of its sense data. Okay. Let us say physics sense? conferences are hilarious yes. to watch. <laughs> yeah. You know, I find it easier to come at it from the philosophic standpoint. And a good um, example of a physics conference, by the way, Big Bang Theory, when yes. <laughs> Sheldon and the rest go to the science conference to give their presentation, and they end up fighting. That's that is pretty much what a lot of these science conferences are like, but slightly yes. less physical violence. But verbally, oh my god, these people go at each other. They they usually wind up furiously going towards a whiteboard or a blackboard. <laughs> yeah, get you out know, the maths. Screen out for food fights. But if it all depends on the observer, right? Does that bring us back to the? The multiverse theory at all that maybe what's being observed is just what's being observed in that one you're gonna hate me for what i'm about to say universe okay it depends what you think john <laughs> i know i know you know and what i what i think kind of kills me about this stuff I, I understand it like i said like from a buddhist perspective and a lot of this stuff really makes sense to me i read it i read the theoretical stuff and it the papers, the working papers, I, I get a good sense of it. But um, because I understand it that way, um, I, I think I lack a, a technical expertise to discuss this. Um, where you understand this on a very deep level because you've studied it, you and Steve both. I, I just kind of feeling my way around in this now. And 
if everything depends on the observer and no one's looking and it all winks out of existence, it doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Ah, well, you see, physics comes back with, there's always somebody observing. Well, right. <laughs> Therefore, well, it can't to... stop existing. If, yeah, there are no okay. observers, okay. nothing would right. happen. But an observer doesn't have to be a person. Am I no. correct? An observer can be a piece of equipment. Well, you're also back to the universe might be observing itself. Yes. Particles might be keeping an eye on each other. You know, exactly. Are you, I mean, assuming that the unobserved world functions the same as the observed world right. and instruments are exactly the same as a human because they are observing in the act of either recording or influencing these things. And the ultimate judge of what the instruments are observing are the people that design them and oversee the experiments that they've set up. So there's always a sentient mind involved in these. So there's always going to be this kind of bias. You'll never really, with this, even though I think we get closer, you'll never really get to the truth, whatever that might be. Well, to get until, to the next... Hmm. I was just going to say, until and unless we develop extraordinary energy systems... Well, I know we can't to... test string theory. <laughs> Exactly. We can't <laughs> test it because we cannot literally generate the energy levels <laughs> necessary to go there. It's elegant mathematically. Uh, it explains a lot of things. It explains the fundamental existence of particles itself, right. but they can't observe string interactions in a cloud chamber. But they can observe the particles supposedly generated by said string functions. It just, it it becomes such a tangled mess. Anyway, I went off on a tangent. Wow, I had an ooh shiny moment in a discussion about physics. What a Don't worry, physicists do that all the time. You're not you're Oh, not good. Then, yeah. then I would fit right in. <laughs> so um, we were going to talk about the, I talked, I went up with how I went from Aston Kutcher and the butterfly effect to this, I don't even know. But um, anyway, I, I just find this, Fascinating, so I'm going to read this. Um, the butterfly effect. Weather prediction is an extremely difficult problem. Meteorologists can predict the weather for short periods of time, a couple days at most, but beyond that, predictions are generally poor. Edward Lorenz was a mathematician and a meteorologist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology who loved the study of weather. With the advent of computers, Lorenz saw the chance to combine mathematics and meteorology. He set out to construct a mathematical model of the weather, namely a set of different equations that represented changes in temperature, pressure, wind, velocity, etc. In the end, Lorenz stripped the weather down to a crude model containing a set of 12 differential equations. On a particular day in the winter of 1961, Lorenz wanted to re-examine a sequence of data coming from his model. Instead of restarting the entire run, he decided to save time and restart the run from somewhere in the middle. Using data printouts, he entered the conditions at some point in the middle of the previous run and restarted the model calculation. What he found was very unusual and unexpected. The data from the second run should have exactly matched the data from the first run. While they matched it first, the runs eventually began to diverge dramatically. The second run, losing all semblance to the first, 
within a few model months. A sample, okay, so there's a picture of that. And I can't show you that. At first, Lorenz thought that a vacuum tube had gone bad in his computer, a Royal McBee, an extremely slow and crude machine by today's standards. After discovering there was no malfunction, Lorenz finally found the source of the problem. To save space, his printouts showed three digits, while the data in the computer's memory contained six digits. Lorenz entered the rounded-off data from the printouts, assuming that the difference was inconsequential. For example, even today, temperatures is not routinely measured within one part of a thousand. This led Lorenz to realize that long-term weather forecasting was doomed. His simple model exhibits the phenomenon known as sensitive dependence on initial conditions. This is sometimes referred to as the butterfly effect, e.g. a butterfly flapping its wings in South America can affect the weather in Central Park. The question then arises, why does a set of completely deministic equations exhibit this behavior? After all, scientists are often taught that small initial contributions lead to small changes in behavior. This was clearly not the case in Lorenz's model of the weather. The answer lies in the nature of equations. They were nonlinear equations. While they are difficult to solve, nonlinear equation systems are central to chaos theory and often exhibit fantastically complex and chaotic behavior. Well, I like chaos yeah. theory. Yes. Well, um, I mean, we've, I've, we've briefly we've talked, talked about, about this it before. Yeah, yeah, Lorenz's models plus... Um, the, the 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 mathematical work of a Mr. Benoit Mandelbrot, both yes. are used now in the um, <laughs> weather prediction, basically, because yeah, it's all chaos maths. <laughs> well, um, and the Mandelbrot equations are used to do the prediction, basically, <laughs> because <laughs> fra you know, for people who don't know, Benoit Mandelbrot is basically the big name in fractal geometry. Fractals. Yeah. Uh, which explains a lot of things in nature. Yeah. But unfortunately, yeah, it's an awful lot of mathematics. So it didn't come up until computers had been invented. Yeah. <laughs> you know, only a computer can do the maths quickly enough to actually generate these damn things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... I guess, yeah, I find the butterfly effect interesting. I always did. And yeah, like, every, every it basically comes down to every interaction can change interactions Everything. everywhere else Everything. in the yeah. universe potentially. You know, so, I was trying yeah. to explain. I was trying to explain that to somebody, and I finally settled on: you need to go rent the horrible movie Sliding Doors. <laughs> Not because I think it's a great film, but because one single choice can alter a person's entire world. I yes. mean, it's kind of like that. If you take and strip it down to its most basic, that's kind of what it comes down to with this, but on a much smaller level. And I love chaos theory. I love the idea that scientists for years and years and years and years have assumed we were this orderly thing. Right, the universe was like a machine. It was this orderly thing. You could understand it if you could study enough of it. If you could study everything, it would all make sense. And the more we study, the less we understand. Well, the the thing that I find kind of funny 
is a very old theory is now being partially proved by physics. Holistics. The interconnectedness of all things. Because it is starting to look like, yes, every single part of the universe, as far as we can see, has some sort of connection. We all are, <laughs> though. I mean, it's ask a Buddhist. Yeah. What is the nature of reality? Jan, if, <laughs> if, if you'll look, if, if you'll look at the Lorenz diagram, yes. you'll actually see, and I'm, your audience won't be able to see this. Right. But you'll actually see the decoupling yes, of the nonlinear equations approximately a third of the way through. This was also explained something called it's under various names the swing set effect. Okay. Uh, Where everything. Go ahead. predict the physics explosion to a greater degree that it could explain the relative motion of an eight or six or five-year-old girl on a swing set after she swings a hundred times. <laughs> this is a true thing. This yeah. is a true thing. They can more accurately predict the formation and propagation of a thermonuclear explosion and they can tell you where that little girl's gonna be <laughs> on a swing, a hundred swings into a swing set session. But it's because it is because of all the different inputs that go into swinging on a swing set. Yeah, it's mean, actually more complicated than a nuclear explosion. Which you wouldn't think, but all of this stuff, I um. Yeah, to nuclear what? physics is nice, um, easy. There's <laughs> there's a series of films, Machines of Loving Grace. Do you know what I'm talking about? Very. We've had discussions about the man who makes these films. Um, he makes them for the BBC. Yeah. I forget his name. But um, there's a section in the second or third, um, all watched over by Machines of Loving Grace, where he's talking about the scientists going around on the plains and studying animals, taking food out of their mouth to see what they were eating. Um, they were trying to get all this data and feed it into a machine so that they could understand everything about us. And after about 10 years, they just lost it and gave up because no matter how much information they tried to feed into this machine to get things to correlate, nothing made any sense because we thought of ourselves and the scientists thought of us as machines and we're not. We're, we're, we're instruments of chaos. We are kind of machines, Not but really. the universe is potentially also a machine, and we are part of the universe. Therefore, we're not a separate machine. <laughs> so, what we can measure is only a part of the whole. We can only see so much. Well, you have to be at the universal mean, level to be able to observe everything. <laughs> Right. Well, and I don't. I macro, don't micro. Getting, I don't see <laughs> any of us there getting again. there anytime soon. Yeah. yeah, I don't see any of us getting there anytime soon. But you nope. know, I could be wrong. Um, that that's why a lot of yeah, a lot of physics. They they do try and scale it because well, you have to. You they have they to. they they know they can't 
you can't explain this. Explain the macro. Person. They have to look at the micro effect. You can't explain this, to, and you also can't explain this to just. Uh, there's not a lot of normal people that are going to grasp that. Like no. we are an instrument of chaos, or we are part of the whole. Um, I was reading a story just last week saying that, you know, they were starting to prove the oneness thing, right? Yeah. That we were all, all of us were part of this one great thing. But, but that would mean <laughs> that free will was an illusion. And I'm like, I can't, I just can't, <laughs> I can't do this. You know, Scientific American is saying that. This is know, why philosophers and physicists don't get on. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part this is you know this is why it's hard being a libertarian try yeah. being a libertarian buddhist who likes physics <laughs> i'm just telling you you, you want to uh, study in things that make no sense try being all of those things so yeah um does anybody want to pick a story or are we going to leave me to pick something i think you should okay this was your bright idea. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so um, one of the more one of the most famous Buddhists in the world is the Dalai Lama. I don't call him His Holiness the Dalai Lama because he is just he's just a guy. Well, that plus the fact he doesn't seem to like it himself. So well. Um, I, I have, I have issues with the contradictions in his thought pattern, but, you know, we're all agents of chaos, so that's fine. Like I said, I've studied Buddhism for a long time. Anyway, um, Dalai Lama, religion without quantum physics is an incomplete picture of reality. Okay. I don't think he means religion in the sense that, um, you know, the Mormons do, or the Catholics do, or the Jewish do. So I'll just start with that. Uh, <clears throat> the Dalai Lama on emptiness and entanglement. Ever since Copernicus published on the revolutions of the heavenly spheres in 1543 to outline his helicentric cosmology and thereby kickstart modern scientific inquiry, an uneasy truce has existed between science and religion. Although Copernicus wasn't persecuted for his views by the dominant religious authorities, in fact, Pope Clement expressed great interest in Copernicus's work, and the latter would end up dedicating his revolutions page to Pope Paul III. His intellectual heir, Galileo, was not so lucky when he faced down the Roman Inquisition in 1633, a testament to the fragility of this philosophical truce. This either-or approach to the world, where one considers phenomena through either a scientific or religious lens, has colored scientific inquiry ever since Galileo was placed under house arrest for his heretical but scientifically accurate views. Its legacy can still be seen in the vehement spats between religiously motivated climate deniers and the militaristic guardians of science known as the new atheists. Yet, what if there was a different approach to the world? which didn't require planting oneself firmly in either the science or religion camp. This was the question posed by um, well, the Buddha, actually. The um, uh, Tenzin Gatso, 
the 14th Dalai Lama, as he presided over a two-day conference on quantum physics and Mariyama philosophy in New Delhi last week. According to uh, the Dalai Lama, figuring out a way to reconcile scientific and religious philosophies may prove to be essential to the future of our species. Um, I do want to point out that, uh, yeah, the Buddha kind of said this sort of thing first. Anyway, um, I hope conferences like this, he said, can address two purposes, extending our knowledge and improving our view of reality so we can better tackle our disturbing emotions, he said, opening the conference on Thursday. Early in my lifetime, science was employed to further material and economic development. Later in the 20th century, scientists began to see that peace of mind is important for physical health and well-being. As a result of combining warm-heartedness with intelligence, I hope we'll be better equipped to contribute to humanity's well-being. The Dalai Lama has never been a stranger to science, and throughout his tenure as Tibet's leader in exile, he has advocated for the collusion of science and Eastern philosophy. Even Chairman Mao commented, uh, commended the Dalai Lama for his scientific mind directly after reminding his holiness that, quote, religious, religion is poison, end quote. This intersection of interests was manifest in the diversity of his audience, which was composed of roughly 150 Tibetan Bukhas, academics, and students who had piled into the conference center at Jawarshnu Nehu University to listen to the Dalai Lama and a panel of physicists and monotheistic scholars discuss the intersection of quantum physics and Mahayana Buddhist philosophy. This is just selections from day one of the conference. As the Dalai Lama noted in his opening remarks at the Delhi conference, he was only alerted to the intersection of quantum science and Mariyama, or one of the main schools of Buddhist thought, about 20 years ago after having a discussion with the late Indian nuclear physicist Raja Ramana. According to, his, uh, according to the Dalai Lama, Ramana had been reading the text of Najana and he was struck by how much the ideas of this 2,000-year-old philosopher matched his own understanding of contemporary quantum physics. These are generally considered to be the two main philosophical schools in Buddhism, known as Mahayana and Devada. Mahayana, one who holds the middle or the middle way, belongs to the Mahayana school of thought and was developed by Najuna in the second century. Although a staggering number of subtly different interpretations of Najorna's philosophies have emerged in commentaries on his work over the years, a core idea of uniting them all is that of emptiness. In Mahayana thought, all things are empty, insofar as they lack any inherent essence or existence. This emptiness applies not just to people and things, but also to the analytic categories which are used to describe them. According to Najana, this emptiness is the product of the dependent organization of all things. In other words, all phenomena lack their own inherent existence because their very existence is dependent on the conditions that gave rise to them. Yet for Najana to say that nothing has any inherent existence is not the same as saying nothing exists. It's merely to po pose it that nothing has a fixed and permanent nature. In order to clarify this, Najana posted two truths a conventional truth and an ultimate truth. In doing so, he recognized that it is possible to simultaneously perceive things as actually existing out there in the world, the conventional truth, as well as recognizing that they lack any inherent existence, the ultimate truth. Holding these two seemingly contradictory positions is only possible by recognizing that reality is an experimental phenomenon 
not one that has an objective existence independent of our experience of it. If you're confused as to just what these ancient musings on the nature of reality have to do with contemporary quantum physics, you're not alone. One of the most glaring examples of the intersection of the Mahayana and quantum physics is to be found in the principle of wave-particle duality, which holds that elementary particles, bimons and bosons, can exhibit the characteristics of both particles and waves, yet be wholly reduced to neither. There seems no likelihood for forming a consistent description of the phenomena of light by a choice of only one of two languages, particle or wave, Einstein once said, while discussing the nature of light. It seems as though we must use sometimes one theory and sometimes the other, while at times we may use either. We are faced with a new kind of difficulty. We have two contradictory pictures of reality. Separately, neither of them fully explains the phenomena of light, but together they do. Like the quantum wave function, a probability matrix used by physicists to describe the state of a system at a given time, wave-particle duality points us to one of the central problems at the heart of quantum science. Is there an objective, independent reality that is capable of being quantified? Are all such measurements subjective by virtue of the fact that they are always dependent on an observer to take them, thus merely reflecting the observer's knowledge? As Einstein and the physicists at the conference pointed out, these seemingly contradictory pictures of reality really only make sense if you take them both together, a middle way, much like the Mahayama philosophy. On one hand, an active observation collapses the intermediacy of the wave of function into a definite reality. The cat in the box is either dead or alive. The beam of light is composed of either particles or waves, which is determined through the act of observation. Yet in each case, the underlying reality is that the cat and the light don't inherently have the characteristics being alive or dead or a wave or a particle. Rather, the underlying reality, the wave function, is indeterminate and can only be quantified as a set of probabilities. Another aspect of the quantum mechanics that is worth mentioning is the principle of entanglement. This principle, tackled by both Einstein and Schrodinger in 1935, occurs when pairs or groups of particles are generated in such a way that the state of any given particular particle cannot be determined. Rather, the observer must measure the state of the quantum system as a whole. With an entangled system, the state of each particle is correlated with the others. Therefore, measuring a single particle will influence its entangled partners, what Einstein called spooky action and distance, collapsing the superimposed states of entire quantum systems. To borrow from the language of Najanga's philosophy, we might say that quantum physics possesses two truths, a conventional truth, the determinate reality brought about through observation, and the ultimate truth, an indeterminate reality expressed as possibilities. These truths of quantum mechanics mirror Mahayana philosophy insofar as the latter professes that things do actually exist out there in the world, yet have no intrinsic objective essence and only derive their essence from our subjective interpretations. What's more, in both cases, the explanation for the two truths is remarkably similar in both quantum mechanics and Mahayama philosophy. In the case of quantum mechanics, entanglement is a quantifiable expression of Nadronka's notion of dependent organization. The state of a particular quantum particle cannot be expressed because it is dependent on the quantum system as a whole, much like Nadronka's phenomena, which cannot have their own inherent essences because their existence is dependent on the condition which brought them forth. Such were the ideas expressed over the course of the two-day conference at the JNU in New Delhi. 
for the most part, the explicit connections between the Mahayama and the quantum physicists were left up to the interpretation of the audience. The physicists stuck to physics and the monistic scholars stuck to Buddhism. Yet, much like each concept itself, composed of seemingly contradictory ideas that nevertheless proved to be complementary, um, the Dalai Lama insisted on the need for both physics and philosophy in the quest to overcome ignorance and end suffering, which are arguably the main aims of Buddhism. Both science and religion have their own specific uses, but one without the other can lead to less than desirable results, to say nothing of painting an incomplete picture of reality. Right now, when we see the sad things going on in the world, crying in prayer won't achieve much, the Dalai Lama said, although we may be inclined to pray to God or Buddha to help us solve such problems. They might reply that since we created these problems, it is up to us to solve them. Most of these problems were created by human beings, so naturally they require human solutions. We need to take a secular approach to promulgating universal human values. The sense that our basic human nature is a positive source of hope that if we really make an attempt, we can change the world for the better. I get a lot from that. I mean, I'm sure it was a gobbledygook to everybody else who heard it, but I, I get a lot of that. I don't know why I, yeah, the, I've said it before. Well, the, Buddhist, the dual you nature. Get a lot of that. I do. The dual nature of everything, basically. And it makes yeah. sense. Did that make more sense to you than the stuff we were talking about earlier? <laughs> And I only ask because sometimes one thing will make more sense than another. Like the, the philosophy aspect is what makes more sense to me than the mathematical aspect of it. Although without the other, go ahead. Brain can kind of absorb and process, but don't ask me to explain it. I can't explain it either, but I want to. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's my interest. Yeah, in, I want to clicked in there, but don't ask me to explain it because I can't. I can't either. Neither can the people studying it. Can you explain it, Barry? Of course not. <laughs> Steve, can you explain it? Uh, <laughs> you can try. Well, I'll tell you. Uh, basically just read and i read the article myself right. uh the two philosophies because as barry said earlier in the program they did used to be called natural philosophers before they were physicists right. are, are compatible right. i mean uh you've got you've got non-reality uh, both of them are determined by either observation or by the deterministic effects of a wave function. A wave function is simply that which is not collapsed into a reality that you could observe yet. And now, we're back, we're, we're back in physics again. Yeah. But the uh, Buddhists operate under I mean, I think it's very elegant myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, do. I do. It's much more in tune. There seems to be a lot less dogma involved yeah. than, yeah. than there is in any other kind of a religion. It, to me, it's always been a philosophy. 
I mean, it's just, I, I can't live in anybody else's reality, right? But I can understand that everybody suffers, right? That's, that's something we all have in common, whether it's you've lost a child, you've lost a wife, you've lost your job, or you have a headache, or you, you sprained your ankle, you stubbed your toe, or something terrible happened to you, you were the victim of a crime. Everybody has suffered. Um, to me, that was the beginning of understanding that uh, everything was about more than just me. Um, like I said, to me, it's more of a philosophy about um, how to live, how to treat other people, and how to understand the world and my place in it than it is anything else. They're all um, objective realities that affect the individual. Yeah. Yeah, my, just, my, my version is things are, it's up to us to see what they are. There you go. <laughs> Or some thought for you. <laughs> but that covers both philosophy and physics. It does. Well, yeah. it's to me it's it's all it's all kind of wrapped up in this big bundle I'm never gonna untangle. Except that um Well one of the one of the philosophical ideas is if we ever do fully explain how all this is working then <laughs> we achieve our higher enlightenment and we, the universe will turn into something else. It's a nice which, idea. Which, yeah. It's been around for quite a while, that one. Because, yeah. you know, yeah. we're currently at the level we're at. And when I say we, it's not just us, it's every living creature. The universe itself, because... The the deeper philosophers think that everything's alive. The universe is a living organism. So, yeah, if if the universe sees and learns how how everything works, then it will evolve. You know. Well, I mean, maybe that's just what we are. Yeah. Just. The thing for the universe to work with. Hitchhiker's Guide. We're an experiment by a bunch of multi-dimensional aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's as good an explanation as any, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm... if you like physics and philosophy, read Douglas Adams. He's hilarious. Douglas, Douglas Adams has written some really great books. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it has the virtue of not being able to be disproven, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean... That's kind of the intriguing thing about them all. So they'll, I'll never stop looking at it. I'll never stop finding new things about it. What I love is I can read a book from 1926 that's a text on physics, and I can still get so much out of it. And I said this to you before, Steve, that there's something so beautiful about this because Plato and Socrates were debating this how many years ago? And then you move forward into England, into like the 1920s and stuff, where men were sitting in their studies writing this thing. And now you're where we are. And we're just starting to prove some of these things that were written in the 1920s, but go back to these ideas. There's a certain sort of beautiful flow to it. And... I don't know. I'm just really attracted to it. I just love it. Yeah, I'm weird. Okay. 
Okay. Well, it's, it's not it's not just you. People people in general like certainty, and while no... all these older <laughs> physics theories are proposals or theories, people are like, eh, don't really know. But once some proof gets found, people are much happier. <laughs> I I just love reading it though. Some yeah. of the stuff, some some of the the work, some of Heisenberg's stuff even reads like poetry. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. I'm a weirdo, but some of it really does. If you sit there and read the stuff he's written in his own words, and I'm not talking about the math, I'm just talking about his own words. Well, I mean, one, one of poetic. the one of the best books in history has already been mentioned, and that's Copernicus. Yeah. It's it's beautifully written. Um. If you haven't read it, go read it. Uh, what's the actual well, name? Sh- oh. Well, uh, it's in well, that article. Jan, yes. Jan, since, you're, since you're a Buddhist, have you ever heard, uh, it's a parable, I suppose, or maybe it's a true story of uh, the, uh, the, the the Buddhist monks, uh, one of them, I've got another tab open here, okay. Wang Ning. Okay. Uh, respected Buddhist monk who later became known as the founder of the Zen school who passed by one day when two monks were arguing over the motion of a flag in the wind. Have you heard that one? No, I have not. I, I've been sort of um, lately stuck in a dead Buddhist religion. Well, uh, pure land. Okay, well, it. here it is. Uh, okay. uh, here it is. Uh, two, two monks were arguing about the temple flag waving in the wind. One said the flag moves. The other said the wind moves. They argued back and forth but could not agree. The sixth ancestor, Huang Ning, said, gentlemen, it is not the wind that moves, nor it is the flag that moves. It is your mind that moves. Beautiful. And it makes sense if it's only moving because you're observing it. Exactly. So, yeah. That's kind of, like, that's kind of been my question. Um, You've studied this stuff. You've studied the science of this stuff. I've studied the obscure ideas from thousands of years ago. And yet they, they support each other so well. I just... And don't forget that the actual modern interpretation like the copenhagen interpretation and the whole basis for quantum mechanics arose from what they were actually observing and the actual attempts they were making to observe these very small entities how they interact in the quantum world and they come up with explanations that dovetail very nicely with what philosophers have had for thousands of years, except now they actually have a basis for experimental proof. It's, it's kind of the symmetry is beautiful. And like you said, it dovetails so nicely together. It, it just makes me happy beyond words that, um, this thing I've always known deep down is true is 
maybe not true, but could be proven to be true. You're absolutely right. Somewhere in there, there is a truism. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's open as well because, yeah, there's a lot of new stuff being worked on, but a lot of the old stuff still hasn't been finished. I mean, some of the work even Copernicus, Newton, and lots of the early pioneers did, they're still working on those. <laughs> because there were little pieces that weren't, were, were, were there, but weren't explainable. <laughs> so modern physicists are still having to go back even to the original scientists and look at their work. And it's already been said, the early scientists were basically philosophers yeah. because they didn't have the tools to look at what they're trying to describe. I mean, Copernicus and Newton, quite rightly, are hugely regarded because they were some of the first who actually managed to create repeatable, is the important word there, experiments that showed you how these things worked. Um, and that was a, a major step forward because up until that point it was kind of a bit guesswork and haphazard and no two <laughs> people could get things to work the same way. Uh, That's kind of true now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It always will be true. Yeah. yeah. The, the benchmark for something working is you can repeat it infinitely doesn't matter how many times you do it it works <laughs> if it changes you've then got to look at it again and find out why it changed which opens up a whole new branch of science uh, and yeah the quant pe people listening right quant quantum physics is not one subject i think there are currently I think it's 12 different branches. Uh, and I'm sure there will be more. <laughs> we, we, haven't even, we haven't even touched on the temporal aspects of, of, of the quantum nature. Oh, yeah. yeah time. Uh, Arthur Eddington, go ahead, yeah. Barry. Yeah, uh, time brings in a whole new yeah. thing. Let's yeah, face it. Uh, e I mean, uh, every seminal papers about the arrow of time. Yeah, I mean the 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 one of the arguments going on just now is time might actually be a particle, it might be a wave, it might be, yeah, you're back. It's it could be observable, yeah. measurable, other than clocks. I mean discernible at the atomic level. We're the only ones that really... Oh, no, no. Animals experience time No, no, no. Time as Animals well, experience but... time, too, but not the way we do. Not no. so regimented. They experience the effects on their, their bodies and their minds the same yes. as we do, but we're the only ones who really measure it with a device. And, of course, the, the kicker is time may also be controllable, which is a huge argument going on in physicists. Um, 
bets have been made, maths has been thrown down, <laughs> as we say. Um, unfortunately for the layman, right? Everybody, you know, people watch <laughs> Doctor Who and all the various other time travel shows. Unfortunately, yeah, they've. If you watch Doctor Who, they've brought in a lot of physics to that show after it was created. Because, right, when it started, you had the TARDIS, amazing thing, blah, 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 just does what it does. Now they've brought in that it's powered by the heart of a sun, you okay. know, stuff like well, that. I mean, because it would have to be to have and that the reason kind of that energy, came right? about is due to an argument between Stephen Hawking's and I can't remember the other physicist on the nature would... of time, where oh. the smallest theoretical time machine that we can conceive of now involves the power output from a from a singularity and two in almost infinitely sized plates of iron. Um. Okay, well, you know, you don't often run into a singularity, so that might be hard to shrink down to its usable. Yeah. Right now. That's, that's the problem with the, the... Because time... Because they've now realised time may also be part of the system, as it were, yeah, the, there's now the hunt on to find it. <laughs> so, so, well, that's yeah. fine. When I was studying it in high school, they, they said... Time was just something man did that yeah. had no effect on anything. Yep, but physicists, a lot of them now don't agree with that. They're now like, oh. no, no, it's it exists. <laughs> we need to come up with experiments to prove it. Well, in, in the quantum universe, if the direction of time were to reverse, uh, the theoretical statements and calculations would still hold. Yes. But when it goes to the macroscopic level, there is an obvious roadblock, <laughs> basically. Yeah, it it goes, and it's 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 handmaiden is entropy. Yes, uh, but the, entropy the is the predictable and obvious decay of complicated systems towards mm -hmm. their they get reduced to the least complicated, all the way forward to the heat death of the universe. Go yeah. ahead, Barry. <laughs> well, yeah, as I say, the, the only thing most physicists agree on, and hence I did say most physicists, is <laughs> the only thing that is guaranteed in the universe is entropy. Well, Eventually, I mean, I everything's was... going to end. Well, but I mean, nobody I knows thought... how or when. <laughs> well, I thought that was guaranteed, though. You yeah. know what I mean? That's, that, entropy I say, is... Most physicists yes. kind of agree on that, but there's a small, well, it's not actually that small a group, that think <laughs> that the system will just restart itself. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess it might. Um, it might be a perpetuating system. So it, it might be like... Or it could end in a fog of quantum probabilities because all the energy is leached out of the complex system. Yeah, but obviously you then have other branches who are looking at where all the energy is leaking to. <laughs> it has to be going somewhere. I mean, and then you've got quantum computing. Down the rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, well I mean, quantum computing is no, no. The the is, scientists that's is some, that's, weird. <laughs> well, it exists in both one and zero. That's yes. not normal for a binary system. Um, uh, they they've made the refrigeration work. There's two quantum computers. Google has one. Somebody else has another. And I've seen the talks that these people give their investors. Yeah. And you want to see some fucked up shit. You you want to, pardon my French, you want to sit through one of those. Because they talk about we're using all the quantum computing capability of our universe and another universe and another universe. And eventually, we'll be able to take things from their universe to our universe that'll help our people. And I'm yeah. going, um, hey, that uh, that just that seems like a, a fucked up statement to be making. See, it's always the engineers that want to break things. <laughs> That's they are. I, yeah, like you said, there's 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 a. A state of quantum study for about everything and it really is just about the nature of reality the glue that holds us together and no not glue ones there are people who are going to get that one <laughs> probably not many but someone will get that um i get fucked up shit <laughs> <laughs> okay well Stealing the knowledge and wealth of not of nations the way our bankers do, but of whole enti entire other universes and species the way these people are talking about that's fucked up shit. It's fucked up shit, yeah. What Ultimate if capitalism. Yeah, exactly. What if they want it back? <laughs> I mean, you don't know. What if they've already taken it back and we just didn't notice? Well, I think we did notice if, if you want to take it to its logical but insane extreme, they took it back. They took back all the knowledge of anybody in the future because look at people walking around watching Owl My Nuts on MTV on their freaking cell phones. Yeah. I know. That was just, it was just a screwy yeah. observation. Yeah, I, I am looking forward to quantum processors because damn, they do nice fast maths. Unfortunately, well, it's going to be at least another decade or two before anything. Well, there's not going to be anything available to us, not yeah. for a while. Well, I'll say I mean, 10 to it, 20 years at current research uh, speed. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, well, they've only just managed to have, um, was it 12? A 12 connection processor? 12. No. no. And current. It's more. Well, no, 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 working simultaneously. Oh, working. That, that, okay. That's the important bit, to have a working okay. actual computer. Okay. All the, well, all, all the quantum points need to all work simultaneously. Simultaneously. Yeah. And, yeah, it's an incredibly small number they've managed to get running simultaneously at the minute. It's Yeah, every, every couple of years they're getting more and more to work. And even We're, so, the current quantum computers are still nearly as fast as the biggest supercomputers in the world. Yeah, but they're going to get faster. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just, well, it's just yeah, a Well, again, it's, it's quantum science, so there's possibly no upper limit to the processing speed. 
Yeah. Well, I was going to say, and I think one of the other interesting quantum things is quantum communication. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I said it was interesting. I didn't say we were going to talk about it here. Thank God. (laughs) We could, but I, you know. This stuff is just interesting to me. We've only I, got an hour and 12 left. We'd never make it if we started then. <laughs> okay, so I guess I'll pick a story. Um, if there's anything anybody's attracted to in the document, let me know. Um, I left that open so you guys could edit it. I maybe should have told people that. Um, quantum magic trick? Does that sound good? Oh, Yeah, everybody likes sure. magic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, why not? It's science, it's magic, it's religion, it's everything. Yeah. <laughs> kind of is. What cup is the pee under? Sure, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I Like I said, I tried to pick stuff that was just from a popular magazine. A lot of this stuff came from places like Wired and the New York Times. So it's not written for a college graduate. Well, thank God. Yeah, I could have. And like, everybody's going, when will the material be available? I'm going, it's really not that complicated. It's not as complicated as it could have been. It really could have been worse. So, um, not worse, but it, it would have been much more technical. If I you know, spent a couple months on this, which is probably this, what I should This is done. good enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I have, I, uh, have we lost you a lot? My brain gets a lot of it. Just don't ask me to explain it to you because I can't. Well, I can't either. There you go. I can give you an idea. It's not going to explain the whole. Quantum magic trick shows reality is what you make it. Conjurers frequently appear to make balls jump between upturned cups. In quantum systems, where the properties of an object, including its location, can vary depending on how you observe them, such feats should be possible without sleight of hand. Now, this startling characterization has been demonstrated experimentally using a single photon that exists in three locations at once. Not confusing, right? It's here, it's there, it's everywhere. Despite quantum theory's knack for explaining experimental results, some physicists have found its weirdness too much to swallow. Albert Einstein mocked entanglement, a notion at the heart of quantum theory, in which the properties of one particle can immediately affect those of another regardless of the distance between them. He argued that some invisible classical physics, known as hidden variable theories, must be creating the illusion of what he called spooky action at a distance. A series of painstakingly designed experiments have since shown that Einstein was wrong, entanglement is real, and no hidden variable theories can explain its weird effects. But entanglement is not the only phenomenon separating the quantum from the classical. There's another shocking fact about quantum reality, which is often overlooked, says Erwin Steinberg of the University of Toronto in Canada. No absolute reality. In 1967, Simon Cochin and Ernest Beckner proved mathematically that even for a single quantum object where entanglement is not possible, the values that you obtain when you measure its properties depend on the context. So the value of property A, say, depends on whether you choose to measure it with property B or property C. In other words, there is no 
reality independent of the choice of measurement. It wasn't until 2008, however, that Alexander Klechenko of Bilknet University in Anarka, Turkey, and colleagues devised a feasible test for this prediction. They calculate that if you repeatedly measured five different pairs of properties of a quantum particle that was in superposition of three states, the results would differ for the quantum system compared with the classical system with hidden variables. That's because quantum properties are not fixed, but vary depending on the choice of measurements, which skews the statistics. This was a very clever idea, says Anton Zellinger uh, of the Institute for Quantum Optics, Quantum Nanophysics, and Quantum Information in Vienna, Austria. They are an ambitious group. Uh, the question was yeah. how to realize this in an experiment. I think one is hard enough. Now he, Radek Lepikowitz, Le <clears throat> uh, sorry, I butchered that, and colleagues have realized the idea experimentally. These photons, each in superposition, which, in which they simultaneously took three paths. Then they repeated the sequence of five pairs of measurements on various properties of the photons, such as their polarizations, tens of thousands of times. A beautiful experiment. They found that the resulting statistics could only be explained if the combination of properties that was tested was affecting the value of the property being measured. There's no sense in assuming that what we do not measure in a system has an independent reality, Zellinger concludes. Steinberg is impressed. This is a beautiful experiment. If previous experiments testing entanglement shut the door on hidden variable theories, this latest work seals it tight. It appears you can't even conceive of a theory where specific observables would have definite values that are independent of the other things you measure at Steinberg. And Cochin, now at Princeton University in New Jersey, is also happy. Almost half a century, Specker and I proved our theorem, which was based on a thought experiment. Real experiments now confirm our result, he says. Niels Bohr, a giant of quantum physics, was a great proponent of the idea that the nature of quantum reality depends on what we choose to measure, a notion that came to be called the Copenhagen interpretation. This experiment leads to more support to the Copenhagen interpretation, said Zellinger. I pulled that from New Scientist, and that wasn't okay. Really Okay. Do, do you get the impression that if you just walked up to the door of that institute in Vienna, you'd start getting a headache because <laughs> oh my God. I kind of do. I kind of do, but I think Stephen Barry would find it very interesting. Well, throw yeah. him in. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, I would love to go to CERN. Yeah, well, I'm well, that yeah, weird. Every, everyone would love to go to CERN, sort of. I'm just saying. <laughs> just you, so... you, you might be incredibly scared when you left, or your head might just explode. You know, well, that probably. Kind of place. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Um, I would like to see it. Um, but like I said, I find this stuff really fascinating. And yeah, I'm sure I would be scared. Because, you know. It's okay. I've just seen... I mean, uh, Probably at any time, half the physicists working there have some level of fear going on. Well, I mean, as long as they're not pants-shittingly terrified, they're probably doing pretty well. Well, no, they think they know what they're doing, so they don't tend to get that scared. <laughs> they think, well, but you know. Barry's, Barry's right. There, I've read some articles where they they 
they are a little creeped out by what goes on there. Well, they're seeing things that the human mind Can't really see. wasn't designed to look at, which doesn't help them at all. That's <laughs> what I'm referring to. Not, not quantum devil conjurization or anything like that. <laughs> no, it's just, it's the combined brain power of everybody in this room isn't meant to understand this stuff. No. And everybody, I think, gets a little piece of it. You know what I mean? These guys get more than we do. So, you know. Ah, but then some but of them are probably incapable of cooking a meal without having a horrific accident. Yeah, Everybody's well, knowledge you're, is different. You're, <laughs> you're talking to the girl that's walked out to go to work without her shoes on. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. So, um, uh, yes. back to this article you just read, though, Jan. Yes. About and uh, quantum entanglement. Uh, yes. Where are they? Where are these properties coming from? Are they imparted from information at the source, or are they actually communicating through another domain? since uh, apparently the hidden has been closed off. Uh, they're not communicating in a conventional sense. Nothing is conventional at that level. No. Activity well, somehow. You know, it's, there's something I was going to say earlier, and this just brings it to mind. This stuff on this tiny little level, people keep trying to superimpose it onto the larger reality at a bigger level and they keep telling people your 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 reality is what you make it your mind is what you believe um your what you believe you can live and all those sorts of things i i can't even imagine the only way you could run these experiments without having any undue influence would be to build a machine that was a null and i don't think that's possible right that's just a what like a a brick of nothing? There would uh, be no well, way to you, observe that without you say that, messing but with it. Currently, they can now build things at the atomic level. How okay. long before they get into the subatomic? That's right. There was a news article, well, a story last week. They they had the first nano robot race. Yeah, there was a race. A sub of atomic size robots. <laughs> this year, you know, you know. Did did these people not watch Star Trek? And sorry, <laughs> sorry. What core particles? <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't. Something that's smaller than the atomic level. I I don't think I don't want to race those. I don't want to be in the same. Well, they. they they're kind of already doing it at CERN. The Large Hadron Collider is oh, using enormous magnetic fields to influence subatomic particles. They're doing a lot of other yeah. strange shit. It's the ALICE project that's really interesting, honestly. I mean, don't get me wrong, Large Hadron Collider is doing a lot of great stuff. The ALICE project, which was the first one, which was where they were opening micro black holes, 
that's where they were getting the really interesting stuff. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, the the media. That's <laughs> yeah, they they got confused between um, Hadron and Alice when there's all those scare stories about they're gonna blow up the universe. So yeah, it's Alice they should have been talking about. Yeah, no, <laughs> Hadron Collider wasn't gonna do that. It was just supposed to recreate that moment of the Big Bang, so we could eh, study kinda. it. Kind of. <laughs> that's well, right. That, but that's the public explanation. Down. Yeah, dumbed down for the yeah. No, and I know that's not what they're doing, but they're trying to find the quantum glue. Yes, basically. Right? That the, the, yeah, the yeah, again, stuff. we're back to the engineers are smashing things together <laughs> to find out what they're made of. Well, and every if time I they smash watch that from half a mile away, I'm okay. No, no, see, Honestly. distance doesn't matter. If they get it wrong, anywhere, everywhere in the universe could cease to exist simultaneously. So, mm -hmm. really don't worry about it. So you, and that, you That's why I say there's varying levels of fear. You, you, better, you better fucking hope there's a multiverse <laughs> if they fuck it up. That's all I got to say. Because energy doesn't really just dissipate. It would go somewhere. Yeah, and, Some and, far of us and since all on. particles seem to have some sort of wave component, which we've right. covered before... Waves mm -hmm. propagate, hence why they they have this theory. If something goes really badly wrong, uh, it propagates through the whole universe, and potentially that also sends shock waves through the multiverse. Ain't physics oh. beautiful? <laughs> yeah, the, the the operating theory that uh, the people that create such micro singularities at CERN, they they tell us that as energetic as the collisions are that these things are so low mass, even though they are singularities, that they they shed their energy quickly through quantum tunneling. Yes. And and then they, they're gone. Unfortunately, uh, they then, nothing. Unfortunately, then they have the argument with gone. the other group of physicists well, who are working it's, on it's the dark. Yeah. It's exactly the, gone into something else, but wouldn't that create more dark matter? Well, you see, that's the thing. Um, that's another group outside quantum. Well, they're sort of in and out of quantum physics. Ah, they're in a right. dual state, right? The the dark <laughs> matter, dark energy, zero. dark drift scientists say what they're doing at CERN. It's possibly, yeah, they're saying the masses they're using are so small, the energy's propagating away through quantum tunnels. Might not be true, since ninety nine point nine nine, however long, percent of universal mass isn't quantified yet it's just yeah. called dark matter exactly like, that's what i'm saying but couldn't they with with at least with alice i don't i don't claim to understand what the hadron collider is really doing but aren't they actually creating more dark matter with this and since we don't really know what dark matter is yet what are they actually creating um well nobody knows is the answer to that one that's it's it's heartening, isn't it, to know that yeah. we're we're playing around with the Big Bang, and we're playing around with micro black holes, and we don't really know what we're getting from that yet. So it's 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 just interesting stuff. And you've got all the, the you've got the religious nuts out there saying that you know they're creating more devils and demons, and it's like I don't I don't think that's right. 
No, they're, they're, they're creations yeah. of humanity. So yeah. Yeah, your devils. They're in your, your head, are... son. <laughs> They're, they're, your devils and your demons are your like serial killers. Your, you know, that's 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 your devils and your demons. That's what you should be worrying about. And I, I don't, I have a sneaking suspicion that that's not what they're creating more of. <laughs> I have I have a sneaking suspicion. Okay, it's not it's it's not a serious thought. But <laughs> they're doing all these experiments, sir. <laughs> right. And in another universe somewhere, there's some scientist going. God damn it, they've done it again. We need to communicate with them and tell them to stop doing that. <laughs> they keep throwing off my TV. Yeah, they keep changing the channel on my TV. Yeah. <laughs> it might be that simple. Well, Who knows? It's, as good a, it's as good a thought as any other in physics, really. <laughs> hey, Jan. Yes. Uh, do you ever wake up in the morning and when you're getting ready to go somewhere uh you're you're wondering how the hundreds of trillions of copies of yourself that <laughs> exist in parallel universe if they're having a bad hair day or not no you know i never think about that but i do think about the one well if the mathematics is right i do think that the one that's a clown made out of pudding i wonder what kind of a day it's having well, I'll tell you what, there are people that do. There are people that do. I read an article a couple of years ago in the New York Times about that. They really, I mean... They are worried that their selves and alternate universes, whether they're having a bad day or not. Oh, for God's sake. You know... Um, the answer to that is, these people yes, need to move Someone on. is. Someone <laughs> is. Someone, if, if there's... If there's that many copies of you, yes, someone is having a bad fucking day. And if you're wondering if it's you, it's probably not you. But it will be. You will be having a bad day sooner or later. So there's I, ju I just want, want to track down the one that's having a really great time and switch places. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not quite there yet. Since we don't really... Well, since we're talking quantum physics, I, I might find the trigger thought inside my own brain that will flip me. I might have already done this. You might have. And then you might have come back to the state and found you were happier here. That's a possibility too, yeah. Yes. Infinite possibilities. Yeah. I well, guess... when, when they say things are infinite, they really mean it. <laughs> well, all right, so if there's a god, right? And I'm I'm not postulating that there is because I'm a Buddhist and I'm well, like scientifically there is a possibility that one could exist. Yes, traditionally, you know, not big god people. Um, but if one exists, and the multiverse theory is right. Right? Um, doesn't the next universe also have its own god, and so on, and so on, and so on, and you get to a point where there would be something that was infinitely more powerful than those gods, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know why we're... I don't yeah, know why well, people are so hung this, up on the religion thing. Yeah, this, this is why religion and science don't get on. Because uh, <laughs> science comes up with, there's an infinite amount of possibilities, and religion, well, re certain religions are like, no, there isn't. There's yes, us. There no, 
there's we're the only ones who matter and you're like yeah so yeah. did did that's have, small thinking have you ever read the book i mean and i know this is science fiction so you know i'm assuming you're you guys are like me even though you like the science stuff you like the science fiction stuff too do yeah. some reading of it okay oh, yeah. um has have has anybody in this podcast have you read the book k-pax about where it, if you you might have seen the movie where kevin spacey yeah i haven't read the book in... i've seen the film okay I haven't read the book either. No. the book is much better it, it explains a lot more but um they have the interviews that the psychiatrist had with the alien and in one of them the psychiatrist says to him i want to ask you about religion and k-pax says to him you humans are so hung up on this thing and the answer is so simple either they're all right or none of them are and that's kind of how i think of religion either they're all right or none of them are and yeah there, there, have, been, there have been uh scholars and philosophers in the past who've brought this up and many stonings and burnings at stakes have occurred uh, in the course of history over that yeah i understand that but it's true either yes. they're all right or they're all not right and either way you you just go on you know well i mean it's an, just an, such an, old, an, an old axiom thing. is whatever you th you think is true is your truth so yeah <laughs> Well, great that's good and yeah then which is really which is not, why if i'm really a millionaire yeah. i don't have to work i work because i like it i'm kidding yeah <laughs> i'm I mean, a trans millionaire <laughs> are you <laughs> i i have transcended monetary needs and live in nirvana there we go yeah well, you know, if you're going to go there, Siddhartha, <laughs> you're going to find very few people have uh, taken that journey all the way down that road. Um, well, most of them probably got bored and came back. Well, today I'm sure they're all just playing on their fucking phones. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I wondered what the nature of reality was, and I think the one thing we agree on is it's whatever you believe it is. Yeah. doesn't matter if you're a philosopher, a member of a religion, or a scientist. As I said, the truth is your truth. <laughs> so, however you look at it, that's what it appears to be. Um, and, and no amount of arguing on Twitter is going to change it, for the most part. So People um, argue about religion on Twitter. Oh God! Look up Dawkins on Twitter. Do I have? Do I have? The, 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 argu the, the, the arguments have been non-stop since he joined. All, since all the joined? religious people trying to attack him. Him attacking all the religions. It's hilarious. Let's ask Bill Nye. <laughs> you know, I don't know. The best thing I saw on Twitter was Neil deGrasse Tyson saying that, um, what did he say? The, the, the earth wasn't flat because cats would have knocked everything off 
the flat earth by now and that tells you everything you need to know about cats cats will never be smarter than humans right so i'm paraphrasing yeah so one of the cat bots tweeted him and said uh yeah none of my kind voted for donald trump for president yeah that tells you all you need to know about cats and humans <laughs> i thought uh, that was kind of funny um yeah i don't know i think there's a popularization of all this quantum stuff and these things that you see in, in popular tv and and like i said you see these these weird snake oil salesmen co-opting it saying you know wishcraft and what you believe you can be and and you know the tony robbins kind of stuff you know whatever you believe you can do um and i see a lot of of them now um pointing to like some of the quantum reality experiments saying that yeah see this proves what we're saying is true i, I really wish they wouldn't do that well yeah i mean and, and when they it. do it funnily enough a, a, a lot of them find out that a lot of these technical institutes are have many lawyers who will quite happily uh, bring it to court and sue the shit out of them so they have well, to stop saying it yeah well, no, but i'm saying I, I just wish they wouldn't because yeah. it just it cheapens the whole understand wanting to bring i want to bring it down to a level i understand i'm never going to get there i'm always yeah. going to be fascinated i'm always going to be reading i'm always going to be looking i'm always going to be trying to understand but it's never going to be at that really simple level like if you pick up there's there's a book called physics for it for uh, dummies it's never going to be at that level. This stuff will never be at that level. Well, you say that. <laughs> All right. But, but say in 200 years' be, time. It will never be widely understood on that level by most people. Can I put it that way? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it does come back to what I said earlier, that a lot of the stuff the human brain isn't really designed Can't. to cope with. So... <laughs> No, the human brain is designed to deal with the here and now. I mean, um, like I, I don't think my favorite science fiction author, uh, racism and sexism aside, is Howard Philp Lovecraft. Um, and the reason for that is he wrote about that um, sort of horrible sinking feeling that. Nothing was what he thought it was. Sonic um, irrigation, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I love, I love his stuff just for that. It does have that slow building horror to it, but um, the the weird understanding of gods and stuff that he did in in the weird tales, the little weird tales he used to publish. I don't think the human mind could wrap its head around that either. What if your cat was like um, a, a blind elder god, or your dog was like this snake-headed thing? Or you, you couldn't handle that if that were the true nature of a unified reality, right? You would have to take a few courses at Miskatonic University. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. I well, think you'd go in to do one course, and then you'd never be seen again. No, well, you wouldn't go. You'd be beyond the mountains of madness. Yeah. 
the, I the hounds of Tintalus would the hounds of Tintalus would come for you and drag you into <laughs> one of the other universes. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I saw a movie once in the Chromicon that was actually one of the most terrifying things I ever saw in my life. Really? Do you know what scared the shit out of me? Reanimator. <laughs> Reanimator well, scared again, the shit out of me. Based off of a Lovecraft story. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. Midnight Meat Train, also kind of scary. Also based off a Lovecraft uh, novel. Yeah. Not so much novel. Weird, creepy story. Really good for that. He's really good for that stuff. Um, but he had a weird understanding of the nature of reality. If you really look at what he read, if you can stand to... I love Lovecraft. I have a hard time reading Lovecraft. I My favorite book in the world um, is this epic tome. It's like 50,000 pages. It's this big, giant virology text. And when I was about 15, I was really, really interested in viruses. And in those days, we had newspapers. So I had like clock wars where I used to track like emerging viruses and stuff. I was a weird little kid. I was a weirder teenager. Um, and that, that never bored me. I never had a hard time with it. I had a really hard time learning to read Lovecraft. Um, I think he had a very different understanding of the nature of reality. To put it mildly. So, yeah. Um, so, Very hasn't picked a story yet. That's true. Oh, go on. Uh, yeah, gravitational <laughs> waves. There we go. Uh, gravitational waves? Gravitons. Okay. Yay. <laughs> Did you actually just share gravitons? <laughs> well, they help me stay where I am, so... <laughs> It's always good. <laughs> well, that is, it can be helpful. So is it a wave or is it a particle? It's both. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Gravitational waves will show the quantum nature of reality. One of the oldest predictions of Einstein's general theory of relativity, the gravitational theory that space-time is a fabric that gets bent and curved by the presence of matter and energy, is that masses accelerate in the universe, produces ripples in the fabric of space itself gravitational waves but einstein's conception of gravity is still a classical picture as space and time are continuous entities not discrete ones the predictions of the theory break down give nonsense answers at very small distances and in the presence of very large fields and there's no way to calculate the gravitational field for inherently quantum systems like an electron confronted with a double slit and we fully expect that at some level, gravity will turn out to be quantum in nature, although we don't yet have any experimental evidence of that. But with LIGO's recent direct detection of gravitational waves, we have every reason to believe that the existence of these waves hold the key to showing, for the first time, that gravity is truly a force that's quantum in nature. Here's how we'll do it. Any mass that accelerates in the presence of a gravitational field should produce gravitational waves, which are a form of energy that travels through space at the speed of light. It took six years for the first indirect evidence of the existence of gravitational waves to emerge, since it requires incredibly strong gravitational fields. Very large masses accelerating at very short separation distances from one another to produce appreciable changes in an astrophysical object's behavior. But the smallest, highest mass, most compact objects are black holes, 
and neutron stars, and they're notoriously difficult to observe since they emit virtually no light. Thankfully, one class of neutron star, a pulsar, actually is visible thanks to the radio waves it emits from its poles as it rotates. These are normally some of the most perfect clocks in the universe. But if one happens to be in orbit around another collapsed object, either a neutron star or a black hole, its orbit will decay as energy is carried off in gravitational waves. This indirect detection of gravitational waves was first made in the 1970s and 80s, and the orbital decay matched predictions of general relativity precisely. But it was last month's announcement by LIGO that truly unambiguously confirmed this relativistic phenomenon. As two black holes merge together some 1.3 billion light years away, a whopping three solar masses worth of matter was converted into the energy of gravitational waves. Traveling across the universe at the speed of light, they arrived at the twin LIGO detectors in Washington and Louisiana, alternately compressing and stretching the laser's path by less than a hundredth of a proton. This direct detection of these signals tells us unambiguously that gravitational waves do, in fact, ripple throughout the universe. In a quantum version of this gravitational theory, gravitational waves would actually be made out of a plethora of quantum particles, gravitons, just like the light we see is made up of quantum particles in the form of photons. While we do not yet know how to detect graviton particles directly, there's another place in time that gravitational waves are produced where the origin is entirely quantum in nature. From the epoch of the universe known as the cosmic inflation, the period of time just prior to the hot big bang. As the as space expands exponentially, quantum fluctuations in all the fields of the universe are stretched across the cosmos, including fluctuations in the gravitational field. While some of these fluctuations, scalar fluctuations, lead to overdense and underdense regions of space, which grow into galaxies, groups, and clusters over time, another class of fluctuations, tensor fluctuations, leads to the production of gravitational waves themselves. These fluctuations interact with photons in the universe in a very particular way, polarizing their light in a fashion that's detectable in principle. In fact, if gravitational waves from inflation are above a certain magnitude, this polarization signal will be detectable in the leftover glow from the Big Bang, the cosmic microwave background, at some point during the next 20 years or so. The BICEP2 collection, col I'm sorry, collaboration prematurely claimed to detect these waves a couple of years ago, claim that was overturned by subsequent improved evidence. But there are a whole slew of current and future experiments that should be up to 100 times more sensitive than BICEP2 was. If they turn up a positive signal for these gravitational waves from inflation, this would be a very different gravitational waves than LIGO saw. Since these gravitational waves are quantum in origin, they cannot be generated by a classical general relativity alone. That is what the experiments such as BICEP2, polar bear, spital, and spider, among others, are working to measure right now. This prediction may fail if inflation is a variety that produces gravitational waves that are too small in magnitude, but it may succeed too, and if it does, it will be the ultimate gravitational wave signal, one that's inherently quantum in origin, and one that proves that gravity is a quantum theory after all. While we all hope a truly quantum, more fundamental theory of gravitation is found, finding evidence that gravity actually is fundamentally quantum force would be a huge leap all on its own. LIGO won't be the piece of equipment that gets us there, but the phenomenon that it's just just shown us is real, gravitational waves, might well be the missing puzzle piece that allows it all to come together. Yeah, gravity works. Uh, 
<laughs> gravity works. It's kind of neat that it's detectable. Yes. Or will be, maybe. We think. But, well, I mean, there, there are some theories that the waves are propagating through gravitons. Gravitons might actually be dark matter. I mean, until until they do a lot more experiments, yeah, they don't know. Because it would explain a lot. <laughs> well, it, it would actually. I mean, yeah. since we don't know what it is, we do know about the... Well... We assume it's, we assume it's empty, right? Yeah. Sort of. But the, the trouble with the trouble, um, it goes back to an old an old statement: nature abhors vacuum. Yeah. Which is kind of held true up as far as anyone can know. So they don't really. A lot of physicists don't think there is such a thing as empty. There. <laughs> I mean, they're... You know, uh, a proton is made up of quantum particles with these gigantic gaps in between. Right. As far as we can see. As far as we can see, we might not be able to measure what's in those gaps. Though, yeah, exactly. At this point. <laughs> it's just, it all, this all comes down to... Just this is why out. they have desperately been trying to do work on gravity. Because they've known it's there. They've known it's there for a very long time. Yeah. Actually getting experimental results, measuring it, that, that that has been a huge thing in physics. I would think the biggest breakthrough you can make scientifically would be how to not use gravity, but to defy gravity to move objects long distances. Oh, well, you see, if it turns out the graviton exists. Yeah, it's possible we could learn to manipulate it to create our own gravitational waves, which can then produce varying well, gravity saying, effects. So, yeah. Well, right. What I'm saying is that would produce far less pollution than the way we currently move cargo. Yeah. I'm just saying that's what it would seem and, like to me. And, and probably will use less energy than teleportation. Well, because it's been problematic oh. up to now. Yeah. Well, teleportation's <laughs> going to be problematic for a long fucking time, isn't it, Steve? Hey, there are some physicists <laughs> working on it. They've managed to move a photon. They think. Yeah, I remember that. They were all really excited about it. <laughs> Took the output from a nuclear reactor to do it, but <laughs> hey, <laughs> as time goes on, they'll get better. One thing we do know about gravity is that it has a very special affinity for mass. And yep. this goes back to what Vary was talking about. Who says that it's not dark matter that clusters around massive objects, which is why we can't see it or measure it? Yeah. Because we don't know how to measure gravity? No, because the gravity itself, the gravitons, are actually constructs of dark matter that have affinity for massive objects in real space. Yeah. Okay. They are boundary. You've got a giant planet with a giant gravity field. We know that. We can measure it. We can actually have thrust it would take to uh, do a slingshot around this. 
they uh, gravity is a very much a known force in the effects that it has right but this actual makeup not so much i actually like what very said that they might be made up of dark matter yeah. i mean they found yes, dark that's... matter yeah. they haven't found gravitons either but uh, they, they knew they're real actually, they might actually be hiding in the same place would yes, be they might, they they've, the they've been hiding in matter the whole damn time, sneaky bastards. <laughs> the whole damn time, yeah. <laughs> Ultimate hide-and-seek champions, yeah. And if you don't have matter, you don't have gravitons to an appreciable degree. And then, and then if you go a stage further, they're also a boundary effect. They might be what links the multiverses together. Which is another reason why we can't see them because they're in many places at once. Back to, yeah, <laughs> previous story. Because <laughs> yeah, gravity has. Uh, people don't realize this. Gravity isn't isn't a constant, right? You can measure gravity, but it changes. Yeah, it, it changes. It actually changes on Earth according to what the kind of a geologic formation you're over. Yeah, and the magnetic field. It seems to be affected partially, at least, by magnetic fields and everything else. So, yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> this is why they're so desperate. This is why, yeah, there's been a, a whole field, field of scientists looking at gravity for a very long time. I mean, bef yeah, started with Newton playing with apples. Uh, mm -hmm. Einstein creating relativity, uh, general relativity and special relativity. Mm -hmm. um, it comes in nearly every aspect of physics has got stuff to do with the gravity involved in it. Because they're still trying to figure out whether, as, as we said in that story, whether gravity itself is some sort of quantum effect or it's it's something that's influencing quantum effects. Quantum effects. Yeah. And until they've until they've managed to, you know, actually find it and and confirm it and measure it more precisely, they don't know. <laughs> I say it's that, very elusive, but it influences everything. Yes. It's the smallest force we know of but it seems to have the biggest effect. <laughs> yeah, it's everywhere. It's it seems to be universal. Right. But it's so tiny, it's really hard to get hold of. It That's makes quantum particles look fun, you know. So you guys, you're there on there and there and there and there and there and maybe over there too. Gravity, where the hell are you? <laughs> But honestly, Borrow, China. in the back of the sofa. <laughs> I gotta say that was honestly, you guys, that was that was a beautiful theory you two came up with. Hmm. Gravity is dark matter. Well, this is what Did physicists. Um, kind of. I've probably yeah, you, read you something somewhere. And... You two kind of did, yeah. Yeah, but well, yeah, that, this is what science is, though. Let's start an institute. Yeah. 
<laughs> this is what science is. This is why. I can help with that. <laughs> of, of all the scientists, in some ways, despite what I've said before about their conferences, physicists are the friendliest, most inclusive scientists. Because they can't have new ideas without having these conferences and arguing with each other. Because they, they it's like comedians, they riff off each other, you know? They very, I've got the title for our first position paper. It'll be called <laughs> The Effects of Gravitational Shear as you slide off the couch when you're asleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's in its simplicity. I mean, because it, it's it's two things that you can't really measure. You don't really understand. It kind of makes sense that they're one and the same or that they are. A lot of physicists think there's a relation that that's. But yeah, when you get down to specific theories in physics, you have these tiny groups of it's, it's, it's like, it's like the matter of the universe itself. You have physics, which is the universe. Mm -hmm. Then you have quantum science, which is, say, that galaxy over there. <laughs> then, <laughs> then each piece of quantum science and each piece of physics is you're, you're down to, you, you can get down as small as the dust in one of the solar systems. Each one piece of dust is one part. So yeah, again. Oh my God! Um, I just had a depressing thought. <laughs> I just had a depressing thought. Uh huh. Okay. Decay of all the black holes and CERN is making us gain weight. <laughs> hey, God you know. Damn it! I knew it was something besides chocolate and cookies. So it's no, 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 no. Quantum Thank obesity. Thankfully, the way they think. <laughs> singularities work it's not us that's gaining weight it's one of the other dimensions so it's fine well i was gonna say i mean quantum it's making obesity. us lose weight yeah very quantum obesity that is something <laughs> that maybe you could talk arnett into studying no so some bitch in another reality <laughs> is wearing my size eight and <laughs> yeah but she's you uh, Right? So, if there's multi-universes, they're all you. It's kind of like the uh, Jet Li, the one. Yeah. It's a good you, film. You really, you really don't want to go around killing all the other ones. It just, just sets bad precedent. But it does make for a good film. It does. It was quite a good film. But I'm just saying, this, that's how, when I talk about the really hard to understand stuff, I try to reach for something that's relatable yeah um everybody does that was the only thing i could think of that would explain that they're all you <laughs> so that 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 lady wearing your size eights in the other universe she's still you then i want to go trade places with her because she's no, already don't. lost all the weight <laughs> <laughs> you don't yeah but then if you switch places with her then then some other effect might happen and some yeah. other you might show up to switch places with you and you yeah i mean you and you end up back you, know. you eventually end up back where you started kind of yeah 
That's another say, consequence of dimensional theory, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it kind of ends up like it's like a nesting doll, but eventually you end up still being the big outside nesting doll. Yeah. <sighs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Stop the hell that theory, didn't it? <laughs> well, I'm sure there's there's probably other schools of theory that believe it's possible to do that. It's just we haven't figured out how to manipulate time, gravity, black holes, space, um, and particles enough to make that happen. That's all. That's all that's standing in your way. Well, here's here's you a brilliant one for you. Right, so singularities are basically hoovering up everything in the universe. Except possibly the dark bits. They're Big right. giant vacuums. Yeah. yeah. But no one really knows where like it's going. And and one of the theories is that's what's gonna make the new universe when this one ends. Right. There'll be another big bang. Correct. All all those all those black holes are dumping into Some null ones. space, creating the next universe. There so you go. That's actually the correct term for it is null space? It's one of the terms. Okay. Look, it's physics. There's no such thing I... as a correct term. All right. So that's one term to describe it as null space. Okay. Yes. The space in between. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, 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 the condition in which the primordial monoblock existed before it erupted into the Big Bang. Yeah. Okay. So they just call it the... null because nothing. Yeah. So it's, okay. it's like it's basically the clean room of the universe. Yes. Okay. All right. See, I had to go for something I could relate to. Now, Margo, what were you trying to say earlier? I was uh -huh. just going to say, you realize later when I have to go mix that my brain is going to be in there going, singularity, quantum, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Depends how you mix as well. Well, you know, if you're yeah. using, if you're using, um, Weight measures, it's like, oh my god, is the gravity changing my recipe? <laughs> Why are you doing this? <laughs> what the actual fuck? Specific gravity, that is. Yeah. Specific gravity, I get. <laughs> you kind of don't have a choice. We all get specific gravity. Yeah. It's uh so yeah. I think well, it's eight thirty-nine. Eight okay, I'm gonna pick this one because it dovetails nicely in with everything. Um that one. The one right underneath it, you would think I put these together this way on purpose. I didn't. Oh Yeah. Kind of. It kinda is. Symmetry. Oh, how funny. That was the one I was looking at. Yeah, yeah but is it super I mean, proper super symmetry. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's... Completely different <laughs> branch of physics. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> Experiment, oh, suggest... <laughs> Experiment suggests that reality doesn't exist until it is measured. This was kind of my question about reality. Researchers working at the Austrian National University, ANU, have conducted an experiment that helps bolster the ever-growing evidence surrounding the weird causal properties inherent in quantum theory. In short, they have shown that reality does not actually exist until it is measured at atomic scales, at least. Associate Professor Andrew Truscott and his PhD student, 
Roman Kamenov of ANU's Research School of Physics and Engineering. Physics and engineering are, are housed together. Oh, okay, that explains Big Bang Theory. Conducted a version of John Archibald Wheeler's delayed choice thought experiment, a variation of the classic double slit experiment, which you realize if you go to Reddit, and not for nothing, um, in the quantum section, there are people that are doing the double slit experiment with paintballs, with laser pointers, with all kinds of stuff. I'm just throwing that out there. The double slit is still really popular even today. <clears throat> uh, a variation of the classic double slit experiment where light is shown to display characteristics of both waves and particles where an object moving through open space is provided the opportunity, some would say a choice, to behave like a particle or wave. In this instance, however, the ANU team replicated Wheeler's experiment using multiple atoms, which was much more difficult to do than a test using photons. This extra difficulty is due to the fact that as they have mass, atoms tend to interfere with each other, which can theoretically influence the results. An atom is a much more classical particle, Associate Professor Truscott said. For the theory to hold with a single atom is significant because it proves that it works for particles with mass. To carry out the experiment, the ANU team initially trapped a collection of helium atoms in a Bose-Einstein condensate medium in which a dilute gas is cooled to temperatures very close to absolute zero, and then forcibly ejected them from their containment until there was only a single atom left behind. This remaining atom was then released to pass through a pair of counter-propagating laser beams, that is, beams moving in opposite directions, which created a pattern to act as a crossroads for the atom in the same way that a solid diffusion grating would act to scatter light. After this, another laser-generated grating was randomly added and used to recombine the roots offered to the atom. The second grating then indiscriminately produced either constructive or destructive interference as if the atom had journeyed on both paths. Conversely, when the second light grating was not randomly added, no interference would be introduced and the atom would behave as if it only followed one path. However, and this is the really weird part, the arbitrary number generated to determine if the grating was added or not was only generated after the atom had passed through the crossroads. But when the atom was measured at the end of its path, before the random number was generated, it already displayed the wave of particle characteristics applied by the grating after it completed its journey. According to Truscott, this means that if one chooses to believe the atom really did take a particular path or pass, then one also has to accept that a future measurement is affecting the atom's past. The atoms did not travel from A to B. It was only when they were measured at the end of the journey that their wave or particle-like behavior was brought into existence, said Truscott. It proves that measurement is everything. At the quantum level, reality does not exist if you are not looking at it. Even though the findings of this experiment add to the perceived weirdness of quantum theory, the results also validate it. But even without regard to the weird aspects, quantum physics almost certainly governs the world at an atomic level, and this existence has enabled the development of quantum technologies ranging from cryptography to solar cells. Oh, well, I want a quantum cell. I want a quantum ESIG. Um, from an everyday <laughs> point of view, our minds perceive that an object should behave like a wave or a particle, quite independently of how it's measured. However, as this experiment supports, quantum physics predicts that it doesn't seem to matter if a particle or object should wave, should show wave-like behavior or particle-like behavior. It all depends on how it is actually measured at the end of its journey. Quantum physics predictors about the interference seem odd enough when applied to light, 
which seems more like a wave, but to have done the experiment with atoms, which are complicated things that have mass and interact with electric fields and so on, as to the weirdnesses, Roman Kamenov. The first time ever that Wheeler's delayed choice experiment has been conducted using a single atom, the quantum weirdness, rep weirdness represented by this experiment much more closely approaches the macro world in which humans perceive reality, which adds to the significance of the findings. There you go, Margo. See, you don't need to lose weight because it doesn't exist as long as you don't look at it. If you don't observe it, if you don't observe it, it's not really there. Yep. Oh. <laughs> See? See, it's a beautiful thing. Beautiful, the physics diet. <laughs> the physics diet. Yeah. It's another book. The, right? the, yeah. the, doc, the doctor goes, you need to watch what you eat. And you go, no, I don't. I'm not going to observe it at all. So I'm not going to observe this piece of chocolate that I'm shoving in my face right now, right? No, you just have because you just mentioned it. Yeah, see, when you spell, it out, to the world, you spell it out to the world, then you change the nature of the reality. You just collapse the quantum wave function. Yep. Say, so Tricky, that quantum. So yeah. the reality you perceive as real is real, but only if you keep it inside your head. It's when you talk about it that you dispel the quantum wave. Yeah. I'm eating celery. Okay. I'm drinking cranberry <laughs> juice. Hey, Jan. Yes. About what you just read, about yes. in order to accept the results of this experiment, that one also has to accept that a future measurement is affecting the atoms past. Yeah. Remember what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago about yes. Sheldrake's morphic field? Yes. Okay, we don't need to mention that any further, but that just struck me. It, it that's does. A, that's that's a very macro application of this. Mm -hmm. That is not something you... I didn't expect to see that either. I mean, yeah, well, we're not gonna, yeah, exactly. We're not going to start talking about Rupert Sheldrake. It's too late in the show. No, he's 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 interesting. Look him up. <laughs> Wikipedia is your friend, kind of. Yeah, right. most people were in physics are interesting when you look at what they're up to. Yeah, I mean, you could actually just literally go and and well, Google's got stuff on everybody. That's what yeah, they do. Well, go ahead. Very briefly, it's like, why does a leopard today have spots? One needs to ask the leopard of tomorrow. <laughs> it's just, well, what that tells me is that if time is a wave and a particle and it exists in a quantum nature, then it doesn't exist in any sort of form that makes any linear kind of sense. We observe things in a linear form, right? We're not, our brains are not evolved. Our brains are not evolved enough to understand that consciousness doesn't just reside inside our fucking heads, right? Yeah. It's it's also other places. Well, yeah, I mean, um, some, some people think all time happens, it happens simultaneously. So, yeah. Right. But we, we perceive it as a linear thing. When, yeah. when I was talking earlier about time <clears throat> and the way we measure, we're the only creatures that perceive it in a linear fashion. I really believe well, that. How about, the, I, how, I, how about the theory that there's only one electron in the universe and it's everywhere simultaneously? Yeah. 
same with photons. Because yep. the, the the teleporting <laughs> German physicist, yeah, he he was trying to move a photon and find it in two places at once. Well, as far as as far as the minute timings he could measure, but that's it was both at the start and the end of experiment at the same time. Right, but if you if you express time in a linear fashion, and it's it's not if it loops, if it if it all exists all at once. Yeah. And we're just existing it folding out like a story. The other theory is, yeah, all time exists simultaneously, and what we perceive as the passage of time is us moving between the realities. <clears throat> so did uh, anybody see that, that movie uh, with Jeremy Renner in it where he was the physicist and Amy Adams was the linguist? Arrival. And Arrival. Yes. No. Yeah, the the, the aliens language. Yeah. Gives you time. Yes. It does. It's it's quite it's quite the thing. It it really that's that's one film that I thought was pretty well done. Yeah. Scientifically, it was even Arrival. It's brand. It's like brand spanking new. I yeah. It's only been out a few months. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty good. Um, I saw it the other day. It was really good. Um, the other movie I thought that was really well done. Although um, far from perfect, scientifically, was the movie Gravity. Oh yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. It is. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a uh, lot of that. Her talking about you know, yeah, the the energy and needed to get her from the one bit to the next one, bit. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was neat. I mean, it wasn't a huge actiony film. I mean, nope. it had sequences, but it, it was it was very well done, and so I thought the science was pretty. Oh yeah, yet yeah, again, you'll be unsurprised to learn. Physicists have been arguing over it. Some of them really <laughs> liked it; others really didn't. <laughs> so, what did they say about that movie? Um, they must really, most of them must really hate that movie. Where, oh, what is his name? Uh, Matthew McConaughey was in it. Oh, you know Interstellar. Interstellar. Yeah, they argue a lot about that one too. Well, yeah, I mean, well, that's kind of a dude. Anybody who plays bongos, <laughs> anybody who plays bongos naked at three a.m. with another man in this hotel room is a little strange, but eh, whatever. Um, I don't know. I I, I kind of liked it. It. Oh yeah, Interstellar. Yeah, again, another good film. It, it really... was another one where you do not take that one particular guy to another planet because <laughs> things go wrong. Yeah. You, you know who I mean. I know. There, well, there are certain people you don't want to travel with. Tom Hanks is one, and this other person is another. Yeah. Ever. If, if you see this person on your plane, just deplane yourself. Just go, you don't have to give me $1,000. I'm leaving. And sometimes Tom Hanks is even looking for him. Possibly to make sure he is where he's supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody gets that comment, yeah. Well, I hope hopefully somebody will. Yeah. Well. And yeah. we'll know the yeah. name of the one. I will. I will not name. Yeah. Well. But yeah, don't take him on a space mission because yeah, it never seems to go right. Um, yeah, he he's not somebody who should ever go to space. Um. Yeah. So. I guess to dovetail with that 
is quantum physics. What is really real? Because, you know, I haven't finished bending Margot's brain enough tonight. I know she's thankful for it. Okay. I've physics. seen spots on my eyes right now. No, there's not enough. Yeah, it's only eight minutes to go. You're going to have to go some. Okay. Quantum physics, what is really real? A wave of experiments is probing the root of quantum weirdness. Ever since they invented quantum theory in the early 1900s, uh, explains Moroni, who is himself a physicist at the University of Oxford, UK, they've been talking about how strange it is, how it allows particles and atoms to move in many directions at once, for example, or to spin clockwise and anti-clockwise simultaneously. The talk is not proof, says Maloney. If we tell the public that quantum theory is weird, we better just go out and test that that theory is actually true, he says. Otherwise, we're not doing science. We're just explaining some funny squiggles on a blackboard. It is this sentiment that has led Mahoney and others to develop a new series of experiments to uncover the nature of wave function, a mysterious entity that lies at the heart of quantum weirdness. On paper, the wave function is simply a mathematical object that physicists denote with the Greek letter psi, one of Mahoney's funny squiggles, and used to describe a particle's quantum behavior. Depending on the experiment, the wave function allows them to calculate the probability of observing an electron at any particular location or the chances that it's spin-oriented up or down. But the mathematics shed no light on what a wave function truly is. Is it a physical thing, or is it a calculating tool for handling an observer's ignorance about the world? The tests being used to work that out are extremely subtle, and yet have to produce a definitive answer. But researchers are optimistic that a resolution is close. If so, will they finally be able to answer the questions that have lingered for decades? Can a particle really be in many places at the same time? Is the universe continually dividing itself into parallel worlds, each with an alternate version of ourselves? Is there such a thing as an objective reality at all? And these are the kind of questions that everybody has asked at some point, says Alessandro Frenzi, a physicist at the University of Queensland, Brisbane, Australia. What is, what is, what is it that is really real? Debates over the nature of reality go back to physicists' realization in the early days of quantum theory that particles and waves are two sides of the same coin. A classic example is the double slit experiment. We've talked about that a hundred times. Um, okay. Um, in 1926, the Austrian physicist Erwin Schrodinger invented the wave function to describe such behavior and devised an equation that allows physicists to calculate it on any given situation. But neither he nor anyone else could say anything about the wave function's nature. Ignorance is bliss. From a practical perspective, its nature does not matter. The textbook Copenhagen Interpretation of Quantum Theory, developed in the 20s, mainly by physicists Niels Bohr and Warner Heisenberg, treats the wave function as nothing more than a tool for predicting the results of observation and causes phys physicists not to concern themselves with what reality looks like underneath. You can't blame most physicists for following this shut up and calculate ethos because it has led to tremendous developments in nuclear physics, atom atomic physics, solid state physics, and particle physics, says Jean Bruchemont a statistical physicist at the Catholic University of Leuven in Belgium. So people say, let's not worry about the big questions. But some physicists worry about, anyway. By the 30s, Einstein rejected the Copenhagen interpretation, not the least because it allowed two particles to entangle their wave functions, producing a situation which measurements uh, on one could instantaneously determine. Okay, so basically, we don't know. What's really real? We don't know. They're developing experiments. Tune in next time. <laughs> Is that about it? Well, you've got about four minutes. But yeah, 
formed. Basically, it. yeah, the there are big, you know, elephants in the room that physicists keep ignoring. Because, well, yeah, they're busy doing what they're doing now. We'll leave that for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> and they've been doing it for nearly 100 a years. Long time. Yeah. 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 This this makes sense now. Just but, but, but this bit over here, just leave it be. Shh. Yeah, I mean, it. Einstein picked at bits of it before he died, but never came up with anything. Um, all of them, the same, really. All the greats had a, a good try. You know, they came up with their theories they're known for, and then at the end of their career, they were basically like the the last day at school. Yeah, they just, they just started playing. Uh, didn't come up with anything, <laughs> really. Uh <laughs> It might be one of those thousand-year questions. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, they don't know don't... why wave. Yeah, basically. It might not be wave. It might just exactly. be how we see it. I mean, it might just be that simple. Which is a funny way of saying I love physics. Physics is hard. Um, but I, I think in many ways... Physics is hard when it should be. It should almost be simple when it's it's it, it probably needs to be taught to kids from kindergarten on because then they would understand it. But it's pretty simple stuff. It's understanding us, place in the world, it makes us us, it makes the universe it, and what holds it all together. But we need to be part of that because we influence it so much. You can't take the people out of it. I guess that's it. Any last thoughts? Yeah, some somebody let the cat out of the box. If it's in the box. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I think throwing that cyanide capsule in with it was pretty fucking cruel. <laughs> so uh, it'll be okay until you open the box. <laughs> <laughs> then it'll be something else. God only knows what. So I guess that's it for this evening. And uh, thanks for joining me on this journey to understand what the nature of reality is and reality is what you make it. See you next week. <laughs>